You're listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning from 7.45 AM. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. And a very good morning to you. Welcome along to OTB AM this Thursday morning. We've got uh, Tommy Walsh with us for our Christmas special. Tommy, how are you doing? Yeah, good, Jared. What's good Christmas like in your household? Uh, it's mad enough, uh, four-year-old and a six-year-old, so crazy at the moment. We had the whole Santa experience last week up in Palmerstown, and uh, it's really getting hot and heavy now for the next few days. What's, uh, what's Santa Claus bringing? Well, Pippa is getting a microwave. <laughs> <laughs> and Finn is getting a few things. He hasn't settled on one thing, but uh, he's getting an inter-county jersey, and it's, right. it's not Kenny. All right. <laughs> a Dove jersey? No. A f- hurling or football? Football. Right. Mayo. All right. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so no. I'm very excited about that. Controversial. <laughs> well, sure, listen. Is, the, is his mum from Mayo? Off. No, just likes no, Mayo. no. Likes Mayo. You're, 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 that's not fair. Although I suppose you're from Kilkenny, so you can, pick a, you can pick one losing team since you're guaranteed to be from a winning team anyway. Well, so. that's, that's not how bandwagons work. You're not supposed <laughs> to pick a team who consistently loses. Ah, well, it's not like that at all. I suppose we like the way they play. <laughs> they keep coming back year after year and they don't give up and... So maybe this year could be their year. Jeez, the maturity in that fella, it's more, he's more mature than I am, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's false advertising. <laughs> uh, all right, if anybody wants to get in touch with us this morning, you can drop us a, a comment on any of the streams that we have. Um, we have lots to get through. Uh, we're going to talk about Arsenal fans with Owen. We're going to talk about Tommy's uh, 2018. We're going to look back on that. Paul Rice is going to join us uh, around about a quarter to nine to talk about Offaly in 1982. There's a new documentary out about the last time that a team was trying to do a five-year-old football, obviously, and um, how that failed. Oh, what happened? I don't remember what happened. What Neither happened? do I. Well, I, I, was, I wasn't around. I've never, I, I've never heard of the year 1982 before. Yeah, it's just yeah. this black part of my memory that uh, nobody's ever spoken to me about. We hadn't forward to reading the documentary to see what happens. We hadn't even put this together, obviously, but um, now that you're here and we're talking about a five-in-a-row later on, it's in the papers every day about the dubs and the five-in-a-row. They're all answering questions all the time about it. And it's like not even the actual year that they might be able to do it yet. That's not the easiest thing in the world to deal with. Yeah, um, I suppose when we went for the five in a row, it was a bit different than that. We went for the three in a row a few years previous. And that felt like the five in a row because it hadn't been done probably in so long. And it was new because it was hard to win one All-Ireland that time from the early 2000s. So this was zero four, 4 And we had a big rivalry building up at Cork. And... Um, we, we tried to avoid it that year, um, not talk about it and just talk about this is just a, a new year. And I felt we kind of, we learned from it the year, you know, when we went for the three in a row a few years later and the four in a row. And I suppose we we started talking about it and just didn't kind of leave it over as the, you know, the big elephant in the room. Yeah. And just didn't make a big thing out of it. And we felt by doing that then, it was that bit easier. So we went on then, say one say zero six seven, and we went for the three in a row in zero eight. then it didn't feel like anything because we'd been there before, learned our lessons and just got on with it. If someone wanted to talk about it, we'd talk about it if, and we'd say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know yourself. And then the four in a row the same, but the five in a row then, it didn't impact us at all. I know we lost it. And even talking about it today, it doesn't really yeah. have too much of a, it's not a regret in my life. Some players maybe, but um, I felt we gave it everything. Like, there was huge crowds. We had, I think, 10,000 at one of the train sessions coming up to the five in a row. People were starting to blame that, that the hype was, was too much. But sure, that's what you're going to get when you're going for five in a row. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather be doing that 
than trying to win your first All-Ireland. Yeah, and if, you, so, if you'd locked training that night and then no one had come in that night, are you going to win the game, really? I don't think so. I think, again, you go out and you lose then the next Sunday, ah, you're hiding away from the yeah. fact and you went into your own little bubble. And I felt we, we embraced it. We still had savage training sessions that time. There wasn't too much tactics, I suppose, around then, so you, you didn't have to hide anything. There was no one trying to, yeah. uh, to uh, unorthodox. So we went out and we just lost the game. Like we, you know, we could have lost it the year before for the four and row only for PJ Ryan was so brilliant on the goal. Yeah. So, like that's the way the Dubs are talking as well. That it's just another All Ireland this year, and they really, I would be gobsmacked if the five in a row is actually mentioned voluntarily by any of the Dublin camp next year. And it seems that that was the way with you guys as well. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to be afraid of it. Like you see, Dear McConney last year wants to go to Boston. You know, no problem if that's what you want to do. Off you go. Um, the year before I think it was in McCaffrey or, or the year before Mannion that even well. Mannion wanted to go off uh, touring the world off you go if that's what you want to do we've another lad that'll come in and replace you I thought especially even last year Brogan was on the bench after you know we all thought coming back was one of the the, the round robin games that they played in um, he came on um, after his injury uh, Bernard Brogan said right that's it he'll be back on the team maybe you're coming off didn't make the panel for, for the rest of the year um, so I think Paul Flynn the same we thought he'd be back for the big games he, he came on and won the games played really well and started one of the games played really well but then didn't feature for the rest so I think they just have a, a culture built in Dublin that just fight for your place on the team so no one really has the chance to worry about a five in a row trying on the team first like was it a corner back last year was he doing stats the year before Martin. Yeah, yeah, in the all and suddenly he's playing the following year. So I think it's just the culture, they're lucky. They're not trying to keep the same 15 guys motivated. It's just and who's going to step up and take their place. So I think Dublin are lucky in that sense. Mm. And they have a bunch of players who are doing two two in a row or three in a row like uh, who haven't played. So for Brian Howard, it's not five in a row. For uh, who is like going to be a key player next year for um, Carlo Callaghan. Yeah, Herder of the Year last year. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Howard hasn't even done back-to-back All-Irelands. He's a complete failure. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, a couple of these to give away today. Um, FIFA 19, just use the hashtag uh, OTBFIFA and we're going to give it away for the best comment this morning. There's two of them, actually. Um, so, you'll have to be able to come into us to pick it up if you want to get it in time for Christmas because there's no way that we're going to be able to put it through the post and get it to you. Uh, so... Um, yeah, it'll be a brilliant New Year's prize if we have to stick in the post for you. But if you're like within an hour's radius <coughs> of Marconi House in Diggs Lane in Dublin too, then you'll be able to come in and pick it up. And um Just on that, Ger, uh, I remember before the real names were on FIFA. So when we had, <laughs> wouldn't have been a place, it could have been the Mega Drive at that time. Yeah. And uh, I remember we got FIFA for Christmas one year. Brazil, they had this lad called Janko Tiano. <laughs> and, you know, he was faster than everyone. And I think the following year then, you know, there was uh, Roberto Carlos, but I don't know what his name was, but he was just a really little fast lad. He was left back, so I used to always put him up as a striker. You'd always be guaranteed to be an 8 or 9 nil. But uh, that was for I remember Germany, Germany had this guy, I think his name was Bruce MacMillan. So maybe some of our listeners might remember some of them fake names. But well, it's pro evolution then as well after well, that. Pro Evo, yeah. Couldn't use Liverpool or everything. You had Liverpool, or you had Merseyside Reds and Merseyside Blues. And then there was one year, they made a, EA made a Euro 2004 game, and they got all the rights except for the Dutch players. So instead of like coming up with a fake name for Edgar Davids, they just called him <laughs> NED8. And then Edwin van der Sar was NED1, and like, etc., 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 which I thought was like the most uncreative thing of all time. But uh, that, that's just like big throwback to Pro Evo. It's not really a contest anymore. 
FIFA's yeah. completely taken over. And well, I was a pro Evo man. Were you? Yeah. Yes. And I could be actually starting to mix up the two now that you say it. Because I was a pro Evo man. I definitely got the first FIFA. was a uh, pro Evo man. But then it all started to change. Mm. Um, I remember that time. Again, I don't know now whether it was FIFA or pro Evo, but... You could go in and slight tackle the goalie. Oh, yeah. You'd never guess it off. <laughs> so it was brilliant. And then the referee used to run around after you. And you could spend 15 minutes running around. And the referee, it wouldn't stop until the referee caught you. <laughs> yes, I remember that. That's, in one of the old, that's one of the ones back in the 90s. Yeah. I remember that. And there was a kind of third player in the, in the market then around 2003. You had, this is football. Uh, Robbie Keane was on the cover of it, and it had—it was the only uh, soccer game I've ever played where you could dive. And uh, I, I've never once successfully managed to trick the referee, which uh, gave me a lesson that you've got to be an honest broker when it comes to sport. <laughs> Important stuff. Yeah. Then you'd sensible soccer. I think you could just see oh, the yeah, heads. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the over-the-head camera, the drone footage. Uh, right. So the newspaper headlines this morning: United hopes Solskjaer can sway want away stars to stay. The uh, Man United board apparently think that the right man for the job when it comes to convincing Paul Pogba, David De Gea and Anthony Martial to commit their long-term futures is uh, none other than a caretaker manager. So they've, um, there is apparently going to be a, a slush fund of 50 million quid to buy players for the next manager, which seems weird. Why would That's you in January, players? is it? Yeah. Why do always be buying players now that the next manager is going to come in and go, I don't want that guy? Yeah. The big thing as well is, I think it was Mourinho himself said, like, in today's world, you have to pay crazy money for the top players, but you also have to pay cra- a little less crazier, but still crazy money for the second, yeah, secondary yeah. players. So, like, if you want the top, like, it was different back in the day. If you had the top money, you got the top players. Yeah. But now he might be paying the top money for the, the secondary players, because, you know, you have the huge clauses, I suppose, and that. Yeah. 60 million is one player. But one player of Manchester United's starting 11 standard. But they they also so if you look at what Liverpool did, uh, they they were buying a lot of ten to fifteen million pound players, and then they would fail. And so most of the players that they spent that money on under Brendan Rodgers failed. And then Klopp started to sign some of those players, and then they stopped, and they just spent okay, let's just spend ridiculous money on Virgil Van Dijk, and then he turned into the best defender in the world. And you're like, okay, maybe the absolute crazy money is worth it in the long run. Yeah. If you buy five players at fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty-five million now who don't work out. Or you buy one hundred and fifty million pound player who really works out. Which situation's better? Well, I think when it comes to a defender spending that money, you're, you're going to get a bigger hit than not. Like you, you think about the Virgil Van Dijk reaction at the time, and people were saying this is lunacy. It was kind of like the Rio Ferdinand reaction when he joined from Leeds to Manchester United, saying twenty million pounds is lunacy. Look how long he played for as one of the best Premier League defenders. Uh, so I think when it comes to a defender, like if you're spending fifty million quid and you're getting Rafael Varane or somebody, it's worth that money. Yeah, but Vran's probably 100 now. Yeah. Uh, Ali's knockout blow, Delhi's dink, seals Tottenham <coughs> Cup win over bitter rivals Arsenal. Uh, Chelsea away in semi-finals. Beautiful goal from Delhi Ali last night. Um, the uh, scumbag Arsenal fans <laughs> throwing, throwing uh, bottles at him. Two Arsenal fans in the studio here. <laughs> it's a good Think- shot, actually. Not Henrik Mkhitaryan, but the Arsenal fan who threw the bottle at uh, Delhi Ali. <laughs> Delhi Ali then went full Theo Walcott going like this to the Arsenal fans. Uh, which, to be fair, was totally deserved. Ah, yeah. There's this crazy reaction. Oh, did Deli Ali go too far? It's like, no. what? Well, like, did by responding to having a bottle thrown at him by pointing out the score. Yeah, no, I, I was uh, very pissed off to see an Arsenal fan do that, especially considering it was... Like, if you see from the away fans, you might, you, or, who, who were kind of like in this uh, conclave of, of passion in the corner of a stadium, and it's like, they do something stupid. It's never acceptable. But this is in your home ground where you're sitting in 
pretty pretty good seats at the Emirates Stadium. Those people aren't really known as being thugs. Uh, you can call Arsenal fans a lot of things, but rarely can you call those people in that part of the Emirates Stadium thugs. So it was just really unusual. And uh, Deli Ali was dead right to kind of stick it up to them. Piers Morgan then in the aftermath had to wear a Spurs jersey doing the draw on Sky Sports. Oh, Worst moment of his life, he said. <laughs> um, can you hear something from the crowd? You're playing? No, not the big, the big games, no, because it's just a, a wall of noise, which I'm sure it's like that. I know that was a League Cup game last night, but I presume it was a sellout. But, uh, seemed, it seemed hard to know what the Arsenal fans. Some of them probably bought tickets and didn't show up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was in the Emirates last year, two years ago, for Arsenal and Chelsea. Dodgy, <laughs> was it? Like, I was down near the Chelsea fans, and um, so, like, it is definitely hot and heavy between the two fans. Yeah. Uh, uh, when you're close enough, but you know, it's it tough. Like, you'd be glad, you know, the way the GA fans kind of are all together. Yeah. Like, you, it would. And you know, there's always a bit of kind of uh, garbage being shouted, even at GA matches, but it's generally not too bad. But gee, it was tough now at this. And, you know, you'd be saying a bottle being thrown, you know, you, I'm not, you wouldn't be surprised. No. But, um, and they're from, oh, look like not ordinary, ordinary Joes, like, yeah, that yeah. were. Seem decent people, but the GA fans tend to say stuff about their own team as opposed to the opposition. Solskjaer <laughs> <laughs> uh, gets you United job in loan deal. This is the detail emerging yesterday that um, uh, Molde are taking cash payment for the privilege of loaning Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to Manchester United for uh, five or six months. There's the picture of the bottle hitting the back of Deli Ali's head, and Jim Gavin has signed up to the Dubs for another three years. Um, his deal, which was, was due to extend to the end of 2019 has now been extended to the end of 2021 even if Jim Gavin doesn't intend to stay to 2021 it's like just a good idea to roll this on into the future and then at any point that he wants to he can step down so th- there's no sense of him like oh this is my last year there's never yeah. you know he's never the story yeah no and even you go back to Ferguson that time when he said in United you know it's it's this is my last year and the kind of the, the wheels came off the cart like and I think it's just kind of any young player comes in now says, right, Gavin's here for another three years. I yeah. need to step it up here. Yeah. And as you said, I think you're dead right. It just gives a belief to the, and a, a security and, and that to the whole system. And I think Dublin, like that was always the thing. If they got things right, how good were they going to become? Yeah. And they have things right now and they just seem to be rolling and rolling and rolling. Yeah, it's hard to see anybody getting close to them. Kerry. Do you think, can't ah, bet you. Um, and if you have youth coming the way Kerry are coming, I'm not saying they're going to win it this year, but they're coming, like, and they're going to beat someone soon. Like, is it five in a row minors never done before? Like, it's crazy, really, because minor is so hard to win. Like, and if Dublin are so dominant, like, how is they not competing with them minors? Um, because they still have the same population, you know, as they have for their seniors. So I think they're winning, and Kerry, they do things right. Like, anyone in Kerry growing up, Barry Rin, North Kerry, uh, grows up with football from three, four years of age, and you just can't be that. I was reading a bit about Tiger Woods there the other day. I think, is there a new book coming out about him or that, and, or a memoir or something? And um, Earl, his father, had him out driving balls like from two and had called him some TV station to have a look at him when he was very young as well, three or four maybe. Yeah. And like, it just goes to show, like, even though I was a practicing two hours a day, and I know you have to have talent as well, but Kerry are going to have talent. Plus, you have guys kicking balls since they're three, four years of age. Yeah. So, listen, Kerry will come and so will other teams, but skill, I think, is still the, the reason why Dublin yeah. are brilliant skillfully. And You're loving this. Oh, well, he's, he's just speaking the truth. Absolutely bang on the money there. Kerry, yeah, Kerry yeah. yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do think 2020, 2019 is just maybe a step too soon. I think Dublin are going to win the five in a row. I, I'd be 
like we said it this time last year that there was every possibility that 2018 would have been Dublin's easiest All-Ireland. That proved to be true. I'm not sure has a tide turned beyond the point of not only taking it back to Dublin actually having to struggle for an All-Ireland, but to the point where they actually don't win the All-Ireland. I still think that there is a bit of a distance between them and the rest. 2020, though, that's the All-Ireland I'm, I'm looking at right now. Uh, it, the... You know, I have this story here from Jason Burton and Matt Law that says Manchester United are going to pay €42 million Euros to secure Mauricio Pochettino. This is, like, just not planning properly. Let's try and find our own good manager, somebody else, the next Pochettino, and spend that €42 million on a player. Let Daniel Levy do all that work. Let him, let him do all the grafting when it comes to scouting a manager. They need somebody who is trusted, who is on the upward trajectory, which Maurizio Pochettino still is. If Jose Mourinho has taught them anything, it is that managers can be like players, that they have a peak, that they can get to the top of that bell curve and then they can fall off a cliff. And I think Jose Mourinho's career, we, we'll see with the next job, and we won't know until the next job, but it seems that he might have fallen off that cliff as, as a manager. So Maurizio Pochettino isn't anywhere near that peak, uh, or maybe he is. But either way, he's in a much better position than, than Jose was. You've got to, like, 42 million for Pochettino. You pay that any day of the week. Just, uh, there's loads of other managers out there who are just as good. But we don't know that. They can't afford to take that risk now. But I, I don't know if it's nailed on. I just think that um, it, we see. Uh, Walsh has rare Limerick festive visit for Getabird. So uh, it looks like Ruby Walsh is going to head to Limerick on uh, St. Stephen's Day to try and win the Grade 1 Matchbook Betting Exchange Novice Chase. Um, with Gettabird, so obviously uh, Ruby fancies that. Back page of the Herald this morning is Solskjaer is Red's reboot. New boss expected to unite troubled club. You also have that story as well in the back of the Herald, obviously, that Jim Gavin signs up with the dubs until 2021. Back of the mirror is Ole's got the lolly. United's caretaker will have £50 million to splurge next month in pursuit of top four place. You can see Jose Mourinho there in the back of the paper with a Harrods bag in hand. Doorstepped by Sky Sports News yesterday, said he had nothing to say after his Manchester United departure. Where's, uh, where's Ole Gunnar Schultz staying? Uh, what's the name? Uh, the Lowry, the Lowry Hotel. Uh, and what part of the Lowry Hotel is he staying in? The exact same suite that Jose Mourinho stayed in. Uh, which, I, I don't know why, it just makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Just to reiterate, Jose Mourinho was doorstepped outside his house in London. He's been living in a hotel in Manchester, which is like an hour and a half away on the train, two mm. hours away in the fast train, and you can fly up and down. <coughs> but he's been living in a hotel in Manchester and his family stayed in London it's a pretty nice hotel you'd swear that the, like he'd moved to a club in Russia or somewhere and oh he has to live in a hotel well, can he not commute to London maybe Manchester's just a terrible place for a family well he mightn't want to uproot him but as you said the best thing probably would have been to you know, commute to the city like yeah, yeah. well you see, and the, like the one thing about Mourinho is like in his early years he was brilliant like everyone kind yeah. of you know loved him and his confidence and his arrogance everything but it was he was good to kind of deal with but it, the last few years it was kind of everyone was negative and bitterness and all that you know and if he's away from the family and the kids you know he seems to be close to the very good family man and that you know maybe that the balance in his life maybe mightn't have been you know what it should be and maybe he would be better off you know living at home yeah. when he is managing and getting the job in London yeah like, like just uh, on that Lowry Hotel thing, Ed Woodward and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer met there yesterday. What, like, what is their obsession with this hotel? There's clearly some sort of commercial agreement good here. Hotel like, in do Manchester. they not have a training ground or I don't know an office? An office. Yeah. 
I'm sure they do. Why is the Lowry suddenly become the, the centre of, of all operations? Uh, but I, I actually just looked at it before we came on air. If you want to get the cheapest double room in the Lowry for tonight, it's £175. The one at the suite that I suspect Jose was staying in uh, will cost you £715 for tonight. Um, so just in case you're interested, Tommy. Back page of this one is he effed with the wrong baller, gloating Pogba's farewell to Axe Mourinho. Uh, Pogba saying you shouldn't have messed with me uh, to his teammates. Uh, Delhi hit by bottle as well, we can see there. And uh, Alex Ferguson is given the backing to get Pochettino. Back page of the mail then is Make Us United. Woodward urges Solskjaer to try and heal wounds while Gavin to carry on at Dublin Helm until 2021. And the back page of the Guardian finally is Common Touch. Solskjaer's mis- mission is to pacify big name trio. There is Delhi Alley celebrating after dinking the ball beautifully over the head of Peter Cech. Uh, they beat Arsenal 2 0 last night. Yeah, OK. So uh, Yannick Fjortoft was on uh, with Dave last night talking about the task ahead of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Man United. Have a look. Well, I guess everybody who saw Manchester United on Sunday against Liverpool saw that that must be, and I'm, I'm 51, I think that's the weakest performance I've ever seen of a Manchester United team ever. There was no pattern. You can say it was only, uh, it was not like a 3-4-0, but still, it was a terrible performance of Manchester United. I think that the players now have the chance to show, well, they have, they have been hitting or hiding behind Mourinho and said that the, the camp is not good. What Ole Gunnar has to go into that dressing room to say to them, look, you're Manchester United players. This is embarrassing. And, and Ole Gunnar will tell them that. That is not what I expected from Manchester United. Remember my time in England, we played against Manchester United and we were 1-0 when the game started. And this Manchester United team, now you expect to go to Old Trafford and get something out of the game. And as you're talking uh, about defence, look at Liverpool this season. Uh, they still got the 3-4 up front who will score goals for them. But look at the, go- the, the defence. They've tightened up the defence. And the Manchester United defence, I can play them now. I'm on 51 and I will score goals. Yeah, Jan Aga Fjortoft speaking to Dave about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's appointment in the interim as Manchester United manager. So we're just going to turn to the Arsenal uh, match last night as well. And the best analysis we can offer you this morning is, as always, from the Arsenal fans uh, who are keeping their shit together, I think it's fair to say. They're not panicking whatsoever. Scrolling through Facebook, uh, people are definitely not overreacting to last night's win, especially not this guy who says, uh, Unai is shit, I miss Wenger. Uh, That one got almost 800 likes, so there's clearly a lot of Wenger, uh, a lot of love Wenger in sentiment. Uh, And this Arsenal fan goes into more detail so uh, he says I don't see any difference between Emery and Wenger still same shit losing small and big team still top 5 concern more goals bad tactics going with worst small child Gwendouzi I don't even know where he from why Lacazette is always on the bench why Ozil is always absent why 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 Iwobi and Mickey are the worst uh, interesting well thought out hypothesis from that particular Arsenal fan um, I know what you're asking though is uh, Unai Emery the worst Arsenal manager of all time uh, but is he potentially the worst Emery of all time is what I'm asking because this next Arsenal fans certainly think so. Uh, he says worst Emery. Uh, wrong player in the wrong position in a big game. This kind of team Emery started won't get us win Premier League nor into the Champions League spots hashtag Emery out. Uh, you're probably sitting there and thinking who does Unai Emery remind you of? Well there's only one manager he reminds me of and uh, this particular Arsenal fan uh, reminded me of that. This Emery guy is no different to Moyes. Benching your best players just because you want to prove a point. Nothing can ever justify starting a Wobie ahead of Ozil and Laka. The less I say about playing Jacka as a centre-back the better. But then if you hop over to Twitter, things got a little bit more heated, particularly people uh, just turning on their caps lock. Uh, This particular Arsenal fan said, The most pathetic performance I've seen from top to bottom. Wrong tactics. We've gone back to our usual style of play. Sideways football. We need a big clear out this January of Deadwood players. That's not doing us no good and holding us back to progress. Overall pathetic. 
and then this uh, Arsenal fan uh, issued a pretty serious ultimatum. Start winning or we riot, which uh, obviously sounds like a terrifying prospect. And then finally, this uh, commenter on Facebook says, some of the Arsenal supporters are so idiot, which I think is a bit harsh. <laughs> Some, uh, edgy analysis there from Arsenal fans. But bang on at the end. Uh, let's talk hurling. Tommy Walsh is with us so we can have a look back at the uh, 2018 year that was. Um, Limerick's victory, I think, was kind of the perfect end to one of the most perfect hurling seasons that there's ever been. Um, if you think back to even this time, 18 months ago, there was a real fear that the Super 8 was going to lead to the entire uh, hurling season being overshadowed. And then the reverse happens. The hurling gets out first reminds everybody what a great sport it is, has a bunch of games that end in draws or that have one-point wins, and uh, it suddenly seems like there's a level playing field. And it, I don't know, it may well have been one of the greatest hurting seasons of all time. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'd say in my lifetime, anyway, it was probably because there were so many teams involved with a realistic chance of winning it. And you go back to where did it all begin? It all began with the Super 8s. I think the Super 8s had not come in. We still would have went with the same structures um, as previous years but I suppose the hurling fraternity got a little bit scared uh, it was on all the papers all the stations how many football games were going to be on from we'll say June, July on and how many hurling games and they just kind of rushed in don't even know how they did it probably some emergency meeting or that these new round robin Leinster and Munster championships and they just exploded from there now it, they are very lucky in the fact that there's so many good teams at the moment like you look at Munster all the five teams could win it um, you look at Leinster we'll say last year we'll say Barra Offaly um, the, other four team t- the other four teams could have won the Leinster Championship last year so that's 9 out of 10, nine out of ten teams had a realistic chance of winning their Championship so, and then just as you said there were so many games so tight it just exploded and um, like what does everyone love like you remember when Clare won it in 95 when Wexford won it in 96 when someone that hasn't won it in so long uh, come it's a fairy tale story and there were so many other stories in the whole uh, Limerick victory other than just that final whistle going. Yeah, I, it, I felt like it needed Limerick, <coughs> pardon me, it needed Limerick to win for it to be crowned greatest year of all time. If Galway had won, it would have still been a brilliant year and they would have, <coughs> they would have had to be deserving champions to, to, to do it. And obviously then they would have been a great team too because they'd gone back to back. But um, just having Limerick make that breakthrough is special. Yeah, and... Um like you know, that I often said it about the '94 Limerick team. Like they were my favorite team growing up. Uh, one of my favorite teams. I'd say probably my favorite. Like I remember all the players. Like we'd be play, watching matches of a Sunday. You'd go out at half time. You'd be waiting for half time. You'd go out and take freeze like Gary Kirby. Yeah. You'd switch over the hands and all. You have the left hand down at the bottom, and um, you know, Kieran, Harry, Mike Hoolan used to have the colours up. Yeah. And they were just uh, Gerard Hegarty, like they were just a brilliant team. I remember Damien Quigley scored a goal in, in, in the '94 final against against Offaly, where he dived in. Um, I think he was on um, Shane, it was a Shane McGoughy and was cornerback for Offaly. And they never right, but he dived in and was able to flick the ball into the corner. I remember trying that, nearly punctured my lung, I'd say, for a few weeks after that, <laughs> doing that dive on the higher ground. And um, so they were they were the great fairy tale team, but they never won it. So was this team going to be something like that, where they're all heroes over the summer, but they were able to go on then and finish it off. And I'm sure the memories of that 94 thing probably pushed them on that, listen lads, let's make it happen. And um, like even at the end, like Tom Condon, who's been such a warrior for, for so long, came out with that last ball that Joe Canning, you know, it, it dropped short. And uh, he came out with, like, a, you know, real tough, tough corner back and has been there a good few years. Uh, Richie McCarthy, like... 
we hadn't seen much of him all summer. You know, I suppose we all love Richie McCarthy. He's your old school fullback comes yeah. out, drives three lads out over the line, then clears the ball. You know, and he came out, came on in the final and played a brilliant role in the last twenty minutes. So I think, yeah, it was just a fairy tale stuff for Limerick to go on a minute. The other thing that happened was that the the style of play. It can go either way. It, it, you know, there had definitely been a move towards um, more sweepers and a more defensive style and just trying to <clears throat> close down space in a way that we hadn't um, seen. But there was a reaction to that this year in that the forwards and um, the, the teams who wanted to create space were more successful than the teams who wanted to deny space. They were, and I think that's been the saving grace for Hurland the last few years, that when they did come to the big games, when they didn't come to the, the real... You know, nitty gritty part of the of the championship against the top teams. They were the teams that were winning. The team playing the attacking style. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go all out attacking. Like you often seen, I seen Kyle Hayes back clearing balls on his full back line, half back line. So you go back, but get back up. Um, you don't, you know, leave. Like you look at any of the, the teams that were playing with their sweeper systems. Like um, you know, Wexford, you've uh, Watford. Um, awfully played against one of the teams with. Was it, it could have been the year before, I'm not sure, with five, uh, with, with only four forwards. But the forwards have poor years. Yeah. You know, they, they really do, they struggle because if they don't win that ball first time, lads are just coming in, take the ball off them. Yeah. It's not really a 50 50 ball. So I think then, when you go man on man, now as I said, you go back and defend, help out your, your defence as well. But when you get back up, then, well, then, the, you know, you're making the other team think. And uh, we're very lucky, I think, with Hurling because that's the game we love. Uh, watching and that's the, the one that's successful so you know more power to it At the same time you think of one of the great games of the summer uh, the Clare Galway first game in Croke Park and the, one of the biggest tactical features of that was Colin Galvin deployed as a sweeper has there been an alteration in terms of how teams are actually approaching the sweeper unless you're playing two it seems that the way the sport is it's pretty easy to get around it Yeah well the, 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 there's so much analysis now that depends on your own team too like um, you're, an, you're playing a team next Sunday. You're probably going to look at every individual player in their, their backline, what way to clear a ball. And that's probably determined how you're going to pick your sweeper. Like, one time a sweeper was, you just pick your, probably your best hurling guy, put him as the spare man and just let him off you go. But now I'm sure that you're saying, listen, if, uh, we'll say if they're playing, say, Galway and Park Mannion gets the ball, well, nine times out of ten, this is what he does with it. Mm. So the sweeper knows where to go. Um, so I just think tactics is you have to adapt you have to go at the times so I'm not saying that you go out and just tell your lads on you go Um, you have to have some sort of plan for whoever you're playing the Sunday so I think it's the ability to adapt so there could be some stage where you might need to employ a sweeper for 10 minutes 20 minutes depending on who you're playing or or whether you're winning or whether you're losing but um, I think it's your, your ability to adapt against the team you're playing I think that will prove that to be successful in, in whatever team you're, you're playing with. Um, in terms of highlights over the course of the year, apart from Limerick winning and the, the style of play that they had, what else sticks out for you? Well, one of them happened only a few weeks ago, and that was Ballygunner. Um, you know, like the heartbreak, them guys, now they're after winning a lot of Watford titles. and uh, They have a big population as well, but I'd be down o- around Watford a, a good bit, and the work they're putting in is incredible, you know. Um, from under probably fives, I'd say, right up to, to, to senior level. They're, and they're a real kind of, although they're kind of just outside the town, they're kind of a town club, they seem to have a country spirit to them. Yeah. And you've seen the heartbreak that they're after having, like a county final, no matter what they say, that was on the way to winning a Munster or a club All-Ireland. The Munster was the big thing. And 
you know, they won one back in, I think it was 2001, and have lost, was it seven finals or five finals since? And it's grand when it's in something new and you just go on and you get beaten. You say, listen, sure, we're in bonus territory anyway. But they put everything into winning it. And time after time, they just came up that little bit short. And they were beating big teams, but then on the final hurdle, they were getting beaten. So I thought, just seeing their celebrations, uh, seeing what they went through and their interviews after, the Ballygunner victory for me was, uh, was one of the highlights of the year. The club obviously makes it a little bit more special. Like there was... I don't know, there was kind of more of a, a united feel to say the Limerick thing this year than perhaps other inter-county wins we've seen in, in previous years. But it still comes back to the idea that once you get into the winter hurling, you're going to get the better stories, you're going to get the real community stories that kind of go along with something like Ballygunner. Yeah, and I suppose the, the dark nights and you know the wintry evenings and the wintry weekends, like they make for it as well because what else would you be doing? So everyone just goes and they watch TG Car every Sunday or they go to the match or they could be under 21 championships so you're at them on a Saturday and off watch one on the telly on the Sunday or you might even go to it if you can. So I think the club campaign from, we'll say, August, September on to before Christmas is one of the magical times of the year mm-hmm. um, because everyone is so enthralled because, you know, you're not off on your, off on your holidays. You don't have much other things to do, only watch it or be at them games. So, you know, we've seen the football there, the team, Mullenachta, Mul- was it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah like that was, Great story. You know, we all watched and followed that story for weeks before and the, the team up in um, Donegal as well, uh, Guiador. Mm. As a Guidor won it, yeah, and yeah. you know we were following there. Have you ever gone on the beer as hard as Guidor went on the beer? <laughs> we have, but lucky enough there was no Twitter around, <laughs> so no one else saw it. But I suppose coming from a player's perspective and winning things and losing things, magical. I thought it was magical, and just the scene, the way they were they were um, celebrating and just hugging each other and enjoying each other's company for the few days after. And you know I was following them. You know I seen. Cassidy's Kevin, Kevin, Cassidy, Kevin yeah. Cassidy's interview before or after the county final and he was saying they learned from their county final and it was a 0-6 they didn't celebrate too much so yeah. they just said it wait till after the Ulster <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it you know and I thought that's why what's the point in playing sport if you can't celebrate it and uh, that's what it's all about like because in 20 years time the memories they'll have will be will be, will be incredible so yeah no it's a magical time of the year for the club um, they, these you know, three or four months before Christmas. I think the whole country kind of waves in on it. And fair play to TJ Cahar because without them, like, where would we be? Because it's the promotion, really, of any sport. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You see the darts, or don't mention the war. <laughs> <laughs> sure hates darts. Right, yeah. That's pure but, sport. But the way they promote it, I suppose. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That, that's, G- it's just promotion. Like, yeah. the, the, anyway. the two greatest stories of 2018 have been uh, Guido and uh, Rob Cross winning the World Arts Championship. That's not true. Uh, is it possible that 2018 has actually made you love Gaelic games more? Like, I didn't think you could possibly get into a situation where you could love uh, Gaelic games and hurling in particular more than you already did, but yeah. this year has been a strange year. Yeah, um, it has. Um, it hasn't. I, I don't think that could happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I think I love it as much as you could possibly love it. So, But it, it does, it, like, I love being, say, a part of it as regards playing in it. Um, as much as, as watching it is great but I do think that to be involved in it whether that's as a water carrier as a selector as a manager as a physio as just to be part of, of it is even more special so if, if you're watching the, these club campaigns or the, the Limerick the, the, the Limerick win in the All-Ireland like and 
if you see all the boys around it, not just the players, not just the manager, but the management teams or people that are closely involved with it, the enjoyment they're getting out of it is even another level again. Mm. So what I would hope is that we keep remembering that, that yes, it's great as a supporter and we love it, but what's even more special is to be part of it and to be involved in it in some way. So, um, yeah, no, it is, it is, it is actually been a, a hectic few months. Like, did you think, so say, obviously the club was very different, but when it came to actually playing with Kilkenny, that you appreciated it as much as you could have? Like, did you kind of soak it in as much as you could have when you realised that you were part of one of the greatest teams of all time? Yeah, we did. We did, because we were lucky enough, whilst with the media we weren't, you know, too open. or Like, we are great crack, like, you know, and the characters we had on our team are huge, huge characters. And, you know, we just never allowed that into, you know given interviews because we wanted to win but like our dressing rooms were epic uh, you know after training before training while we took training serious the, 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 around that even after our victories and our losses our winters we were very close like you know the, the, we were like a club team really like whilst you know you didn't have to be best friends with everyone like you had great friends in there that it was like they were your school friends and um we were lucky enough that I wouldn't look back and say, right, I forsake, I forsake, forsake because Brian Cody probably, his, his mantra going in was that he'd create a spirit that couldn't be broken. We all know that at this stage. So that was our number one, and the winning came after that, made it that bit more special. But we kind of honed in on that, on having great, like we used to go off to Carton House for weekends. We used to have, first of all, we used to have soccer games, and that had to be banned because it was getting a bit rough. <laughs> so we ended up having penalty shootouts. And you know, you'd be a crack going on the whole two weeks before Carton House would be the draws for the penalty shootouts, uh, the draws for this, and we ended up having North versus South, you know, all this kind of a thing. So I think we just enjoyed, I know we talk about journeys and that, but the journey was unreal as well. And listen, it was topped off by the victories, but it was still, if we had never won, there were special, special times. So no, I'd say we enjoyed everything we could and we're lucky. Who could take the best penalty in that Kilkenny team? Well, who would you say won the penalty show out? The first one. If you had to make a guess. Henry? Who wins everything? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, steps up, bang, 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 goes home. But I think we, um, we had a... We had, what was it? A, it, it wasn't a microwave. It was something like that we had sponsored from Sean Swan Electrical <laughs> in Carlow. A great kind of a, a retailer below in Carlow and... He sponsored, David Herity got on to him and um, he sponsored, a, 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 I can't remember now, was it, it could have been a television or something like that. And sure Henry won it, you know, <laughs> you know, we were maybe thinking a young lad might want it that's going to college or something like that, but oh, the king and it was a great shoot, I know, in fairness. And, and who's in goals? Is that the goalkeepers in goals? No, it was a, a different lad every time. Right. So I think we had a north versus south, so if a north lad was taking it, to be a south lad in goal. Okay. And like we had great rivalry that time in the panel between the North and the South and we used to always say when the North was going well, Kilkenny were going well and <laughs> the South lads didn't like that but <laughs> so it was just banter, like banter, banter. So I don't know, it could have been uh, Jackie or someone could have been on goal because Henry was obviously the South so but he, he tucked it away anyway. When you talk about being involved obviously um, you had some injury problems across the year that didn't let, let you play as much as you wanted to yeah. but you were back... Were you back fully fit in time for the county final? Ah, yeah, I know. I was fully fit all year, except for it was the in-betweeners. I wasn't. So as regards between matches, like, uh, you know, you're training. I'm trying to learn. I have to try and learn now how to use, manage my body right. 
as regards stay tough, stay focused, but also not be stupid yeah. as regards because, you know... Um, Stuff that you did when you were younger, you get away with, now you don't. Yeah, well, I still feel that when I go to the physio, I'm better off staying away from him. <laughs> so you're just better off getting through it and it kind of just heals itself after a while. And um, So I learned that again during the summer. I had to take a few. I hurt my knee, did media ligaments in my knee. So, like, you know, you, you will gather from, from, from talking from since I started with yourselves that it wasn't just the, the big matches that I loved. I loved the Welsh Cup and all that. So this year was a tough year playing regards. I was missing a lot of the, the smaller games and I was missing a lot of the training sessions where I had to pull in and out of them. So I f- it was a tough year that way. And yeah. I, you know, I didn't really enjoy it from regards a playing point of view because you're playing with injuries and you can't really give it everything. Like, you know, yeah. and you're pulling out a tackling um, sessions and that because, you know, the problem with shoulder as well. And, um, but like for games, it was perfect. Yeah, you know, it was just the preparation. Now maybe that's what you need at you know thirty five, thirty six years of age to keeps you fresh going into the game. So like the games itself, I enjoyed. Yeah, but it was just the the lead up to them, the trainings were tough. Is the county final a low light, or has it become something that's just part of your life now that you lost one that it feels like maybe you left behind? Well, I spent what since two thousand trying to get to a county final, so. What, 2018 it is now and I got to one, was beaten. But I remember going into semi-finals that time when the Shamrocks were going well and Cha was flying in midfield, Henry, TJ, Michael Darmley, a guy I lived with in college, playing wing back and they're always in semi-finals and finals and we were being knocked out in first rounds. Yeah. And I said, listen, just let me be involved in these semi-final days and, you know, that's all you want. So you're not looking in, wishing you were there. And for the last few years, we're intermediate and we've got the chance to be in semi-finals and this year a final. So... It was brilliant to get to it, and definitely, you know, a tough, tough loss, you know, to to get beaten. And you know, yourself, we were playing against our biggest rivals, and I would probably have a a, a bigger rivalry than most with them because, uh, you know, last house in Tullerone and right on the border. So it was a tough loss, but we'll get over it. Like we're, you know, we've we were there before, you know, and you know, our fathers, our uncles, our grandfathers, resilient. It's a resilient place, small little parish, like, but. You know, it's different now is that we have a great culture at the moment. We're after building the last probably four or five years. When we were senior, we were only winning one match a year. Yeah. And it was tough. Yeah. It was tough to keep things going. Since we went back uh, intermediate, it like it, it's like it reinvigorated the whole place. So from under sevens right up to, to intermediate, the place is buzzing. Because they get to come and watch you win matches as well. They're watching it all year round. Yeah. And, um, it's like, and the Camogie Club is flying it. Like they won the under twelve Ryanairs this year, two in a row. Right. And small place as as I said, we won the under twenty one uh, Ryan B this year, Camogie. Uh, won the under seventeen Hurling. Um, so like, it's 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 vibrant in the parish at the moment, and it's not just the hurling. Like it's the the whole community at the moment. Like we we've a racquetball uh, club in Tullerone now. We've an athletics club, in, and this is all in the hurling field. Right. So um, we've the soccer club started back up this year. We've been, uh, said at the athletics club, we have the la- ladies kind of mothers and others. So like everything in Tullerone now is revolving around the field. Yeah, and it's just it's a great time to be. Why did that happen? What, what changed to bring everybody back? I think just the people, um, hard work, and I suppose winning stuff then does. It helps. No, as you said, like although we haven't been winning championships, we've been winning games. So when young fellas of 10, 12 years of age are going to watch games, you're winning, right? They're going back then winning. 
So their parents, who mightn't be involved in either, are on a high because their children are enjoying yeah. it. And it just kind of snowballs from there. And like our, our Camogie club, the girls won the, the intermediate three or four years ago, Kilkenny, and then went on, went on and won the Leinster. Right. And they were, you know, young Maloney that plays football and hurling for, for, tip, for the Tipperary. Brilliant player, is part of that great Tipperary football team. She was on the, the care team to beat him narrowly in a semi-final. So, like, all this then feeds in because it's the same families. Yeah, yeah, of course. And um, camogie, hurling, you know. And um, I think just everyone then develops a work ethic from that. And we have a great kind of a, say, if you're county boards in the inter-county, the, the club version of that, the commissions or whatever, very hard-working, they're driving everything on. Yeah. And um, I think just everything then, just it's all you're geared by your environment then. And yeah, it was interesting to see um, Henry step into club management so seamlessly. I mean, I think a lot of people expected it would happen. Yeah. Is that something that you think that a lot of your teammates are actually going to end up doing? That Because that culture was so self-generating that actually there's a lot of managers in waiting on, amongst your peers. Yeah, well, I think what it is is they're, they're, most of them are addicted to the game or addicted to competing. Um, like even in school, like I was in school with, say, Jackie and... Hogan, a few more, even off the field, just very competitive guys. I'm sure this is what they know best. So a lot of them are going through their last probably five years now of hurling. So it'll all start dropping off probably over the next five years. Yeah. So I think slowly then you'll see as they finish their hurling careers, they will get into the management careers without a shadow of a doubt. I'd say most of them. Uh, and that's the subs as well. Like Even the subs of them for years, I've seen a lot of them in club management now. PJ Laney and, and a few more. Sure, you see David Herity. So, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, they will get into it. And their success then will, I suppose, a lot of it will depend on the teams through it as well. And the quality of players coming through. Quality of players. Yeah, I expect they'll be able to drive things on. Is that something you're interested in? Because like, you're coaching kids already. Is this something yeah. that you're thinking, actually, because you say about being addicted to it, it's clear you are. Yeah. So is that something that's in your head at some point? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like Simon Malton, who will be the chairman of our board in Oak. So when I started getting involved, he said, listen, just one word of advice. If you're doing something, do it well. So like, so I had to make the decision then, like, do we get into it and play? And then are you, something's going to give, can you do either of them well? Yeah. So that's why I'm involved with the under sevens, that it allows me, that's a Monday night, that allows me to be involved in helping the underage players, but also 100% focus on hurling. Because I want to hurl, as I, as I said before, till I'm 40. Yeah. And try and be, you know, on the team in 40 and... You know, that's year to year. I might be on it this year. Yeah. You know that? So you have to give everything to be there. So I can't, I won't be getting involved until... When do you go back out to being a midfielder whose job it is just to pass the ball and, and hit ball in? When does that happen? Yeah, I don't think that you can do that anymore because midfielders are expected to be in the full back line and the full forward line. So. <laughs> you could be old school. Oh, yeah, you could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will see, but yeah, in a few years. Now you will see, I would predict success for some of them guys like like I said Jackie yeah. um, JJ um, Taggy you know Harrow's already here we see my Henry is down yeah. so it's a uh, you, you talk about their competitiveness is there a situation where 5-10 years down the line it's just the situation where off the field there's this unbelievable race to become Kilkenny manager like I know we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah. quite a bit there but if they're bringing that level of competition to their off the field careers then You'd imagine that would be the case. They've all got their minds on one job and one job only. Yeah. Um, Henry definitely will. It's, uh, yeah, they will. Yeah, absolutely. Who's the most I'll try to say Her Henry will, will, will get it at some stage. You know, it depends on, on 
what happens over the next few years, you know. Um, oh, a few of them. Now, there's a lot of good guys there in Kilkenny as well at the moment um, that are involved in underage setups um, that will throw their hats, you know, in time. And as well as, you know, let's give it time. When, it, when the job does become available, that could be a few years' time. I wouldn't like to be pushing anyone into it this time. But, you know, I'd say Henry, like, he's won in his first year. So, like, not bad. And he's still going and... Just a team like I think they were in the Club All Ireland was in 2015. Yeah. And they have seven guys gone off that team. I didn't realise there's so much turnover. Yeah. yeah. So. That, that's actually the question. Who is the most competitive out of your Great Kilkenny team? Like, who's the fella who would do anything to win more than any other player? Is it Henry? Ah, uh, no. No, there's a good few of them in it. That's hard, what, hard to pick between them. You couldn't. There's so many of them. Like, you know. Like Taggy's an incredible competitor, like all in different ways, like mm. some in their quiet ways, some in their big ways. Taggy was an incredible like JJ would be very kind of softly spoken, but the competitive competitors all them guys I spoke about, like they are you know by from talking to them. I don't think any one of them really stood out, like David Hergy, PJ Delaney, all guys who just yeah, would do anything to win, you know. Um, well, undoubtedly, one of our, we're going to do some of your highlights. We've got some videos for them, which we'll play in a, a little while. But undoubtedly, one of our highlights was you picking up the uh, Imro Radio Award 2018 for a newcomer. And we haven't had the chance to present it to you yet. Thanks so very much. Congratulations. Yeah, great. Couldn't make, couldn't make it. The awards, we arranged it so the awards do would be in Kilkenny, but couldn't come because it was training. <laughs> do you have yeah. an accept, acceptance speech ready? <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, listen, it is an honour, absolute honour, because... Um, you know, I, I suppose I didn't expect to be involved in radio and never mind winning an award, but it was probably summed up by a, a farmer, I won't say who it was, but a farmer inter-county manager said to me, um, he just said, well done on the job you're doing in the radio. He said, you don't speak the language you said that is in the Oxford English Dictionary, but you speak our language. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said, listen, sure, that probably sums it up because in fairness to you guys, you kind of leave me at it and, you know, so... It's a, it's a team effort and we're all part of it, you know, we kind of rub off each other and I think that's the, the main thing, we, we, we enjoy each other's company. Yeah, good stuff. We'll talk more about some of the highlights a little bit later on, but we want to move on to uh, our next item because um, Paul Rouse is going to join us in the studio to talk about a new documentary that's out about um, the greatest uh, All-Ireland football final, one of the greatest All-Ireland football finals ever, the, the second best team in history being denied the opportunity to do its five in a row. That's, uh, that's how we're phrasing this one while Owen's in the room. Anyway, look, before we talk, to that, um, talk through that, rather, here's Kieran Cunningham on a pretty interesting selection in the Tyrone side this weekend. Your next story is significant because I've seen this kid and he's something else. Yeah, Peter Canavan's son Dara is on the Tyrone bench for their McKenna Cup game against Derry tomorrow evening. Cole Coney as well starts for the red hand for the first time in three years. That's a very interesting call as well. Cole Coney was a huge, huge talent and he did not see eye to eye with Mickey Hart. Mm. So it's interesting that he, Mickey Hart is kind of thinking, I might need this guy. I so do Kyle, need did he do a, a very interesting piece at one, some stage over the course of the year where he yeah. kind of talked about how he fell down the pecking order and maybe yeah. hadn't lived up to his potential? Yeah, I can't remember who wrote it. Like, maybe it took the wrong incredible. turn here and there and yeah, it, he's getting another yeah, chance. Yeah, anybody does a quick Google search, I find it was a good interview. I can't remember who wrote it now, but I've seen, um, I've seen Derek Hanavan play live and I've, I've seen a few couple of... Uh, video clips on him and he's very young but he's going to be sincere. Is he cut from a similar cloth to his father? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he's an inside forward 
Well, he's, he, yeah, All play anywhere in the forward line. But but these days, that means you could play, end up at wing back, More to be honest. Like, like you would say, Ryan McHugh is a natural forward, but he plays wing back. That's the, that's the kind of way the game's gone. Peter but he's Canavan just, wouldn't even make the Toronto team if he started <laughs> out But there. he's so elusive, and he's, he has that hardiness that Peter had. Like, Peter, because Peter in the 90s was getting serious punishment yeah. in, in the north, as you can imagine, and on the Killing Fields Ulster football, but... He, Dara has that hardiness as well. Yeah, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Um, Dara Canavan, they're talking about there. Kyle Coney also back in the Toronto team this weekend, so plenty to look forward to. In the meantime, Paul Rice is here. How are you? Fine, thanks, Jar. How are you? Good. Um, so we have you here to talk about the uh, documentary, the um, uh, the end, the end of the <coughs> five in a row. Owen's very didn't really want to do this item. Doesn't want to talk about it. Doesn't doesn't think the year nineteen eighty two actually exists as a, a moment it in, in time in history. Before we get to that, though, I do want to talk about your book because obviously. Um, the hurlers, we had you in to, to uh, talk about this on the radio, so there's, there's a podcast out there. But how's it going? And I've, I've, there's a crossover here, obviously. Yeah. Well, there's a crossover, I suppose, because Tullerone are in it. Um, uh, Tullerone competed in the first Kilkenny Championship and won the first Kilkenny Championship and um, went out and played Turles, the Champions of Tipperary. Sorry about this. Went out and played <laughs> Turles, the Champions of Tipperary, in the All Ireland quarter final and didn't score. Uh, and were beaten by 3 7 to, to no score, but won the first Kilkenny Championship at a time when football was the dominant game in Kilkenny so 19 clubs entered the first Kilkenny football championship and only 4 entered the first wow. Ireland championship so it was and Kilkenny won a, a Leinster football championship before they won a Leinster hurling championship because the first All Ireland championship was open draw I didn't know so, that so yeah so it and was hurlers were all farming yeah yeah working, <laughs> working yeah <laughs> playing cricket um, and, and they were actually playing cricket the, the Mars in Tullerone and all the, the huge cricket area there were a couple of cri- cricket clubs in, in, in Tullerone but everything changed in the late 1890s and into the 1900s and Kilkenny began uh, what I suppose their imperial reign for which has lasted ever since yeah and the book's going well it's flying yeah thank you yeah, I'm delighted yeah it's brilliant uh, every hurling fan should definitely get a, a copy of it so this documentary about um, this Offaly team um, we've heard so much in the past about that Kerry team because they have been um, really the first great modern football team and Hefo's army obviously helped to inspire the mythology around them but that Offaly team was an absolutely sensational team as well it's an unbelievable team uh, like it's it's time stopped in Offaly in September 1982 you can say 1982 doesn't exist I say football ended in 1982 <laughs> if you watch the video of that game still and you look at the clips on, on, on YouTube, it is just, it's a magnificent game of football, first of all. And anything with Matt Connor in it is just, it's, it's art. Like, he, Matt Connor is the great transcendent genius of modern football. I know people will make cases for him, and I'm in no way biased, biased on this. <laughs> but, uh, like, anything with Matt Connor in it is, is, is a joy to watch. And he scored a point off John O'Keefe. It's on YouTube if anyone wants to look at it. He scored a point off John O'Keefe in the first half of that game where he left John O'Keefe and another Kerry defender on the ground with a couple of dummy solos going both ways. And the argument is, did he go for a goal or a point from 21 yards? But it just shaved the crossbar as, as he went over. And it's, it's just, you just, just got to look at it. My first real consciousness of Matt Connor was um, two matches that were played, I think, in Thurless that we went to. And it would have been the All-Stars... Uh, against well, it must have been the All Ireland Champions hurling and football, and I remember queuing for autographs afterwards. Was it in Tullamore? It was in Tullamore, yeah. It was a fundraiser. Yeah, a huge crowd, an, an enormous day, an amazing match. Yeah, um, all the great players in in the county in both hurling and football came to Tullamore. 
as a fundraiser for Matt. But Matt, Matt's given... What year would that have been? That was 85 or 80... I'd say 85, okay, yeah. possibly 86. But so I would say somewhere between... Christmas Day 84, was it? Yeah, and but, but Matt has given since then. He's given a lifetime of service to Offaly GA as a minor selector. Went on to be international rules selector involved in club teams down there. And just incredibly witty man, by the way, as well. Just, just in a, a really quiet man, but a, a genius. A genius of a footballer. And if... If you look at the teams around the time when why Offaly beat Kerry, Offaly were getting closer every year. From '78, they got close to Dublin. '79 finally got by, nearly beat Dublin in '79. Finally got by them in 1980, beaten by Kerry in the All Ireland semi final. Matt Connor scored two nine against Kerry in the All Ireland semi final. Right that year, he scored five eight goals and 31 points in the All Ireland Football Championship in four matches. Right. He gets three All-Stars before he's the age of 24. He won everything in the game. Six awfully senior football championships. The first one won at seven. But it's the little games around it. So there was a club match that I, I against Dunlavin, the Leinster Club Championship. Well, trying a small little parish. Leinster Club Championship. And Matt was quiet enough in the first half and Dunlavin were going really well. He came out in 15 minutes in the first, in the second half and scored four or five. <laughs> and, uh, well, here we go, actually. Wow. And and this is this where, where is was he, where, where did he play full forward? Was thirteen, fourteen, eleven. Right. You 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 couldn't play him wing forward, but thirteen. Well, you could play Matt Collar anywhere, I suppose. But thirteen, fourteen, or eleven. He played fourteen in the All Ireland final. He played uh, eleven in 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 other occasions. Uh, I think he played thirteen in in the nineteen eighty semi final. But just just an extraordinary player. And it is the big challenge for any team that wants to stop Dublin. Do you have a player like that? That can bring you. So Offaly were getting closer every year. Yeah. Like Offaly were within five points in the 1980 semi final. Now, the 1981 final, Offaly had just won the Hurling. It's kind of an amazing thing when you think about the size of the county. Offaly just won the Hurling. They come into the football final against Kerry going for four in a row. And if you look at that game, Kerry won by seven or eight points. And it looks like it's fairly comfortable. And Jack O'Shea scored a goal late in that game where they worked the ball the whole length of the field. An amazing goal and they put a gloss on it. Offaly hit the crossbar three times in that match when they were going for goals having been just at the point when they were two, three, four points down. So two of those go in. Yeah. It's a totally different game. So Offaly were not far away. And it's small margins. Like There's a lot of teams not too far away from Dublin. Yeah. But do they have that little bit extra? It's, it's interesting you say that because just before we, we came on air, Tommy, you were talking about the individuality and being in the right place at the right time as a generational talent. And Matt Connor was obviously in the right place at the right time is the individual still rewarded in the year 2018 in football? I think hurling, we've finally seen a bit of a renaissance this year. You think of the Peter Duggan point, for example, as these moments of spark and brilliance that you do wonder if that is the thing that's going to stop Dublin or is it a system? Because ultimately, that is the last thing that beat Dublin in championship football, the Jim McGinnis system. But we... Sorry. Well, I think even when they did beat him with the system, Donegal had special forwards. I agree. They had McFadden, they had Murphy... You know, and Ryan McHugh was unbelievable that day as well the last time they beat them you know so I, I think myself you do need them special players and that just may, kind of sums it up as well talking about Offaly winning that denying Kerry they had special players Matt Connor and she had the Lowry's James Darby's goal and all that but you need special players I think to beat them teams you might only need one yes and he does something remarkable on a, on a given day where he mightn't play well and scores 1-2 you know one of these guys and I think you know, there is teams out there. Kerry could have players like that coming from the five in a row minor team that might be able to do that next year. Clifford? Is Clifford Clifford, Clifford yeah, is a special Clifford. player. Uh, yeah. There's no no argument on Clifford. Yeah. No argument. Straight away, he arrived into adult football like fully formed. 
<laughs> Imagine what he's going to be like when he gets his man strength, like, and is able to do all the other stuff that he'll be able to do at that point. Um, is it too soon? I mean, like, are, are there parallels between that Kerry team and this Dublin team, or are we just looking back at history and going, this is the last time somebody this good had the opportunity to do five in our own football? Well, I, I, you've got insight into this in a way that none of us have, but there must be a thing in the back of your mind like five in a row is a barrier so Wexford footballers did four in a row 1915 to 1918 unpeeled in 1919 Kerry footballers did it 29 to 31 uh, 28 to 31 unpeeled in 32 Cavan bet them in an All-Ireland semi-final in Breffney Park now why it was played in Breffney Park is not clear <laughs> Kerry then Kerry do it from I'm the still 70s angry about that yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> you feel the hurt Kerry do it then <laughs> the 70s into the 80s and you can actually if you watch the video uh, of the game and I, I probably don't watch it every week anymore but um, <laughs> but if you see, if you watch it you can see Kerry falling back falling back yeah. falling back as they're trying to protect this thing that they they have mm. but but they leave themselves exposed and I I don't care what anyone says it must be it must there must be something there well, you have to go five years unbeaten. I think that's in knockout play. In knockout play, I think you know, and there's a very high chance of that happening. You know, so I think that probably will play more against Dublin this year than anything. Um, I don't think their heads will, will will go because I think he will motivate the team by bringing in new players again. But I think there's a great chance of of someone beating him this year for the simple reason is it's so difficult to go five years unbeaten. Um, I don't think the weight of expectation or anything like that will will hinder him. But saying that, if the game is tight, they're only up by a pint or two with a few minutes to go. Well, then they suddenly have something to lose. Like this year, they didn't really have anything to lose. Four in a row. There's nothing really much about a four in a row, but a five. In a row, <laughs> only a Kilkenny man can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but the same stigma is not attached to it. Yeah. Like we're all, we're already when they're top, when they're going for the four in a row. Could they do five in a row? Was nearly yes. what everyone was chatting about. So. I'd say that's when it might start playing into their minds. As you said, if Kerry started retreating like that after winning all day one, yeah, Dublin could very much do that as well. And nobody could see Kerry being beaten. If you look at all the newspaper reports at the end of 81, and Raymond Smith, brilliant old Sunday independent journalist, took the train with the Kerry team when they went home on, after winning on the Monday in 81, and he chatted to all the players down, and he, talks to us, and he, has, he wrote, wrote a book on the strength of a road newspaper article, and he said it was abundantly clear from all the Kerry players that they couldn't see themselves losing to Offaly. And that's a dangerous enough frame of mind, no matter how much you get yourself up for it. If there's a niggle in the background, yeah. it's, it, you're so used to beating people. And like Tyrone, everyone writes off Tyrone now after last year's final and the previous semi final. I wouldn't write off Tyrone at all. Tyrone came into that final with a load of injuries. And I know Dublin beat them comfortably in the end. I know all that. But I, wouldn't, I don't think Tyrone are as far away as people say they are I don't think Kerry are far away at all it's interesting that Kyle Coney is coming back after four or five years of being out so he's 26 now I think he's only 26 and um, you know when he came into the, the team he was heralded as the most talented Tyrone footballer of his generation so if he's gone away and learned how to apply that talent and is now back in the setup, I mean okay so we don't know how good he's going to be but so you add him you add Canavan there's suddenly there's an impetus behind the team as well and a confidence that comes from each there's inside forwards yeah in a way that they could do with a couple of more inside forwards and Kerry need to sort out their defence and their midfield to some extent which a lot of things to sort out like you can make a case for Dublin more than you can make a case for any of the other teams there's no point yeah. not be stupid here like you can make a case for Dublin 
winning better than you can make a case for the other teams. But I think it's I I think it's a really tricky year for Dublin, really tricky because they're being asked about it every time. Like in every conversation, it comes up already, and um, like at some point, you get bored of the, the same question. And ha- I I don't know. I think it has to have an impact at some level. And Mayo, um, yeah, <laughs> everyone writes Mayo. Everyone has Mayo written off. So I don't I don't I don't write them off. I'm the not writing about Mayo. Is that it seems to be kind of like a one and done situation where if you get a a manager back like James Horn, really it's year one or bust. I like he's not back. Like the, the, his first stint was a project. It was take Mayo back to the upper echelons, which he did. Whereas now it's like that one new manager, that one year you get off that new manager boost, is so important that I think if it's got it's out of twenty nineteen or nothing for this Mayo crop. I, I don't know, and I think you he's a think free so? hit. I think he's got a free hit this year. Look at the Kerry man riding off Mayo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, saying, this, I'm saying literally this this coming year is if they're going to do it, it's going to be twenty nineteen. I I think. I uh, again, I think these with the older players, he's got a grand, he's got a, a go with them. He'll introduce some new ones. There's no real pressure on them. There's no massive expectation on them doing it. And then he'll have his couple of years to introduce that under twenty one all yeah. Ireland winning teams afterwards. Yeah. I think so too. I think that I think he's there for the long haul as well. I did want to ask about Eugene McGee because um, I think people forget that Eugene is still in his late twenties, early thirties when this has happened. Is that right? Yeah, it came from UCD, uh, having trained UCD to win. Club championships knew every footballer in the country by virtue of Sigerson football. Even though Sigerson there's much fewer people in college in the seventies than yeah. there are now, so it's less things. But he knows, yeah, uh, he won all Ireland club championship. Yeah. Like he brought them through all of these things, and he built slowly with Offaly. As I say, seventy eight Leinster semi final, get to the final in seventy nine, win the final in eighty, get to the. All Ireland semi, all Ireland final in eighty one, and then do it in eighty two. It's incremental progress. He Three Leinster titles in a row. Yes, and built a team over five years, and it's a, like that's steadily. And he learned from eighty one, so he worked out from eighty one, and it's brilliant. Uh, if you watch the two finals back to back, and again, I wouldn't say I do that too often, but <laughs> in eighty one, Tim Kennelly dominated from centre back. So he took Richie Connor, Offaly's brilliant centre back from Offaly, and the captain of the team, and put him up centre forward. For, for the final just threw him up there and said right I don't want Tim Kennelly boss in this area and, and he did that he got matchups right all over all over the pitch he got Seamus Darby back in in 82 Seamus Darby see this is the thing awfully winning in 82 everyone has painted it as this extraordinary shock the greatest shock and it wasn't that big of a shock yes it was a surprise but three of that team had won All-Irelands in the early 70s so there was a tradition of, of winning there already they knew how to win All-Irelands Loads of the rest of them had either won Leinster under 21s and minors or had been there or thereabouts in them and had won, had been involved in Leinster club championships. So it's not a team that kind of dropped from the moon and, you know, was. And there was a good point about, Owen, you were asking the question earlier on about systems and what system to play in that. And I think that probably shows as well the ability to adapt against who you're playing mm. is vital in this day and age because there's so many different things going on. And the fact that they put up was Richie Connors. Yes. Yeah. The fact that they put him up on, on Tim Kennelly just goes to show like things like that win championships, you know. And hadn't been playing there all year, I presume. No, and just, just dropped them the up. Final. Just did it for you did know, it for the final. And me, that's amazing. Had Sean Lowry in centre back, and Sean Lowry had previously played full forward. I'm almost certain. I'm, I am certain. Sean Lowry played full forward in the um, All-Ireland semi-final against Galway like, and the, the semi-finals actually played brilliantly for Offaly because Offaly scraped over Galway by a point not playing great and Kerry did a number on Armagh like yeah. won by more than 10 points like it was the Harlem Globetrotter stuff yeah. and so it just feeds the whole thing 
we'd beat the pick of them type thing that um, famously the there's one other thing should be said about that 92. team is that that final 17 players played in that final and it came from 10 houses so because of all the sets of brothers on it that's mad three Lowry's two Fitzgeralds two Connors two O'Connors uh, two Derby's the two subs that came on were, were, were from the same house that's mad yeah why is that like small a, county but, and small fo- so it's off as two counties same with the hurling in, in yeah. the late 90s as well the, yeah. what, what is it the 10 mile radius they talk about the Dooley's uh, and, and the Pilkingtons and the Whelan's all of that coming from the same place yeah can that be done again tries tries yeah god yeah I mean John. John John tries some hurler yeah he was special remember his goal against Antrim the one where he just flicked the back up like that buried it amazing but even when you talk to any of the Offaly players from that time, they all have massive respect for John Troy. Yeah. And he was, you know, he obviously did things in training as well and matches that we didn't even see, but I think they reckon he was the most skillful of them all. We used to train at the, the bottom end of O'Connor Park and the hurlers would be training up the top end uh, a lot of time when they were going really well at the time. And you just, we'd be we'd running laps, you're looking for an excuse not, <laughs> not to run laps, and you just see John Troy poking around before the, you know, trends going on and he's just, he's just doing tricks. <laughs> with things and he just like I think he's I don't think he's ever properly got the credit for being the hurler that that that, that he is and even that time the number 11 was kind of a he was the other broke ball he was your big strong centre forward he probably you know he was changed that and the modern centre forward is more the guy that roams here roams there using his skill to and space to score and at will and he was probably one of the first of, of, of that type of a centre forward. He was, and he he also though he was well able to um, look after himself. Yes, <laughs> I was trying <laughs> to find the right phrase. <laughs> yeah, he knew him. <laughs> he wasn't afraid uh, to swing. <laughs> is there anybody like him at the moment? Like, is a kind of a cross between Noel McGrath and somebody else? Noel McGrath would be a typical type of the same type of a hurler. But you would have said John Troy was definitely more physical than that as well. Oh, John, John Troy was much smaller than, was than small, yeah. yeah, John Troy, John Troy than than Noel McGrath. Like, uh. um, I, I, so um, in Bounce, Matthew Said's book, he talks about um, himself, his brother, and three other guys all playing table tennis for Britain from like a three street radius because they had one coach and the coach was hothousing them I don't know if that's if something similar happened in GAA where two families had kids of similar standard and that standard happened to be so athletically superior to everybody else that the families drove each other on or two clubs find a rivalry like is that what happens uh, in these small places so I think what happened in Offaly I think a couple of very simple things happened in Offaly first of all there were more people in the county by the end of the 50s and the 60s because of Bordenamona and the power stations and people being able to work around the area. So more people were staying around and those people who were staying around were having kids. So there were more kids in Offaly at the end of the 50s and the beginning of the 60s than there were previously. They had a properly run underage system through the schools and everything. So they produced players who got to the 60 and 61, uh, beaten by down in both years, absolutely robbed in one of those All-Irelands, again, not biased. Um, <laughs> that team, 10 years later, produces those kids who are of age to come through in 71 so there's the remnants of the 60 team is there in 71 and 72 when Offaly beat Galway and then Kerry to win All-Irelands and 10 years later the kids who saw that come through again to, to produce the 80s team so families there were 
insofar as families had kids, and, and there's a misunderstanding that every Irish family had about 20 kids, <laughs> but insofar as families had kids, they often had three or four kids rather than the one or two yeah. more prevalent now. And if that's a group of boys growing up in a house or a group of girls, whatever, they can becomes competitive. I mean, the reality of was in the 70s, sport wasn't nearly as open to yeah. the girls as it is now as a fucking disgrace when you look back at it. Uh, but in the 80s, for boys, and certainly boys growing up in Offaly, the range of opportunities for what you do with your time are relatively limited. But Offaly had brilliant schools. Brilliant schools. He brilliant. Hurl, hurling that time, but Paul Horgan was in was a Burr, he, Burr Community he, School. And he was in Banner, wasn't he? And, and, the and brother, uh, brother Dennis was in Burr. There was brothers in Burr and they were a powerhouse of schools, hurling. Completely. And they brought them in and it's the same in the secondary schools in Offaly and, and so players were coming through the schools. There's no... There's no secret to any of these teams, teams who come out of nowhere to win All Ireland. It's like Leash have won hurling All Ireland, won in 1915. And the reason why they won their All Ireland in 1915 is between 1900 and 1912, they set up a proper school system. Two Kilkenny men did it actually, uh, um, set up a school system around the place and brought players through. And they got slowly closer from 1911 to 1915 before they won their All Ireland. And just on the brothers, you're asking the question about the brothers and all that. Like the old, you're geared by your environment. So I think as like kids are copycats. I'm ever to see one lad do, they all end up doing. And if you have brothers going out, like you train what back then probably you train twice a week maybe. Yeah. Even now you train maybe three times a week. So that's three or four hours uh, of hurling. Towards if you're growing up in a house of brothers or just cousins living beside you, or as you said, they all live in a little street or a little radius. Well, then you have ten, fifteen guys out hurling maybe four hours a day. Because, you know, they're not inside, obviously. They're, they're out because that, that's where they all get their enjoyment. So I think it is a massive influence on teams and areas, a group that comes together. They just automatically drive each other on, but then they also have the contact hours and the skills, and that's yes. the thing that improves things. Yeah, yeah that all makes a lot of sense. Uh, so this documentary is on Friday, the 28th of December. Owen is um, setting his DVR right now at half past nine. It's the story of the Offaly team from their point of view that stopped Kerry from winning the five in a row in 82 with um, contributions from Matt Connor, Richie Connor, Seamus Darby, Eugene McGee, Sean Larry, Martin Furlong and more alongside, of course, Michael Foley and Paul Rouse. Um, so um, was it an enjoyable thing to, uh, you know, <laughs> confess that you've been watching this video once a week, every week? For There's a brilliant book written by Spike Milligan, the, um, the, the I suppose, Anglo-Irish comic. He wrote it. In, in about his time in the Second World War, it's called Hitler. My part in his downfall. That's how I feel about <laughs> about my involvement in this. Film. The idea that I could be in a program with with these group of lads, like you, like that list of names, like Martin Furlong. Like Ma- Martin Furlong is from my club at home. Martin Furlong is an inspiration to anybody. Uh, in Tullamore who plays Gaelic football like Martin like he lives in New York still he comes home he speaks to our club every so often when he comes home and he's a really quiet decent shy understated man who has won three All-Irelands which in awfully football terms nobody has won more All-Irelands than Martin Furlong because he's a minor um, as well and like I never got to play I got to play against a lot of those teams from the 80s in club football um, and in the, the team from the 90s in club hurling but the team from the 80s in club football and it's an amazing team. Never got to play with Martin Furlong. Got to play with his son Ken, and more recently with his two grandsons, uh, John and Tom, in the street league, which uh, which the Dillonites won. So I'm very proud of that <laughs> as an old man. Um, but but so Martin Furlong though he walks into the club and it's just you know, it's just a reverence to him, and that list of people is is. Uh, 
to be involved in in any shape or form. But like this, this is this is their story. And those, I was twelve in nineteen eighty two, and I had a great good fortune. I won a ticket in the club draw, <laughs> so I was up the back of the Hogan stand on the Nally rail. You know that old corner in the ordinarily not a great seat but for Seamus Darby's goal it was perfect, just like perfect. and like the memories of, of, of that like everyone's onto the pitch so most people loads of people have gone onto the pitch before the full time whistle because they've gone through the wiring at the old Hogan and I make it out onto the pitch finally and my mother's out in the pitch and I see her and I go running for her and Seamus Darby picks her up and throws her in the air because they were in the same, <laughs> the same and then if you watch the footage of it now my dad's wearing he brought my brother Dave they were in the sideline seats a bit sickening but they were in the sideline seats and they're sitting there and and um, but if you watch the video of the match so there's a brilliant shot, photo of Coleman Doyle Coleman Doyle from the Independent took it from behind the goal of Charlie Nelligan like this and the ball dipping over his fingers and I can see my dad and my brother in the Hogan's no just, just <laughs> it's amazing it's in the corner so but the footage of the match afterwards my father's wearing the reason, reason why I can spot him my father's wearing these yellow oil skins right it was a wet day but he's dressed like he's going to the North Sea on an island <laughs> so he's going he's just running around the place like a lunatic on, on, the, on the field Did you make the documentary I don't know actually I haven't seen it so I'm um, looking out for him I'm watching him but if you watch the footage of the match He's still going around, and the best of it is he's lost my brother David. So, I'm not <laughs> so and, and all I can remember is um, he'd probably kill me for saying this, but but he didn't appear. <laughs> my father appeared home. I think it was on the Wednesday <laughs> after, after the game. Um, maybe maybe that's probably not true. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just it was it's just one of those things that uh, you know we haven't we've only won three. Offaly have only won three in history. It has been a struggle in Offaly football, but for many years before the 60s and since the 90s, like the last 20 years have been tough in Offaly and football, and now they're tough in Hurland. But when you look back at that as a 12-year-old, like you see Offaly winning All-Ireland in football, Hurland Championship back-to-back. Offaly were very unlucky not to win the 82 All-Ireland final, by the way. Matt Ruth goal where the ball was pulled back he was nearly in, 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 in the canal end it was that far wide when he pulled it back in but um, so anyway it was, an, yeah, it was an amazing time that's a long way of saying it was an amazing time yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting obviously you got involved um, last summer it, knowing everything that you know and, and being able to put it in that historic context is it possible for Offaly to make that level of comeback um, and what do they need to do really to be able to get to that point Because the idea that is not possible is rubbish like I, I refuse to accept that it's not possible for any county that wants to commit proper resources in developing players. The first step is to develop players through the schools and through the clubs. He's talking about we're going to decide next year to win in All-Ireland. It's just rubbish. You develop your players over a period that takes deep investment over 10, 15 years to bring through a whole load of players. Every county can only field 15. It, it drives me nuts when I hear people talking about, oh, Dublin have this huge benefit of resources and no one can compete with them. Why aren't they winning Hurling All-Ireland so? Like, Kilkenny, everyone was talking about Kilkenny when you dominated everything. This will go on forever. Nothing goes on forever. So the, position, the, the trick is not to worry about anyone else, not to worry about how they play, to develop your players in the most skillful way possible. Draw and learn from the others, but develop your players and you can only play 15. And that really matters. And I know you need subs and all that, but, but it should be within the weight of any county. Like I would say, like you look at Tullerone, 
like Tullo, can you see Tullamore Tullerome in the Kilkenny Senior Hurling Championship in the I future? Could, yeah, 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 yeah. But that requires a whole load of things to happen. Yeah, I think it all comes back to underage. I no you doubt have to drive it underage. You look at any of the sportsmen and throughout uh, throughout the world, and they're doing it from a young age, three, four, five years of age, and they just because they spend so much time doing it, they become better at it. When they become better at it, become more confident, and then it just drives them and drives them, and it just snowballs. And then if you've a few lads doing that, well then that doubles. Then their brothers are doing it, their sisters are doing it. So I think any team, as you said, awfully can do in all earned. Of course they can. Like if they get their underage sorted, and that's not minor. That's not under sixteen. No, that's under that's seven. Nursery. It's it's, it's everyone ever not. So and it's the same at all the clubs. Like you know, and is that going to happen? I think it is happening in Offaly. I think Offaly is has improved. Um, I think there's there's a sm- bigger issue with the hurling base because there are not as many people living in that area as well. But there's huge work being done underage in Offaly. Like everybody else is doing it as well. But but there is huge work being done in Offaly, and there are good like there are good footballers in Offaly. Even at the moment, there are really good footballers in Offaly. Like Offaly is not a Division Three or Division Four team. There are enough good footballers in Offaly. The question is, can you get them onto the field? And and, and, and you don't have to look at it, say the club. The club campaign, like Mount Leinster Rangers, the Carroll team, were in yes. the senior club All Ireland. Luckily, the Sha- and they won the intermediate. Uh, was it a year or two previous? Uh, luckily, the Shamrocks club All Ireland champions. Like you know, coming from teams that you'd say wouldn't win at inter county level. Yeah. So if you get guys in an area to put everyone in it from a young age, uh, look at Slot Neil, hurling yeah. and football and Camogie. I, I think that really matters but I think you said there's a really key word that you said in what you were saying the last time Tommy that that's confidence and where does confidence come from confidence you're not born with confidence the idea that someone just gets confidence or is given confidence by someone else is rubbish you do the work you do, you, you do the skills development and then by doing the practice you actually somehow manage to get yourself to do it on the field and confidence comes from having done it and knowing you can do it I do think it's uh, interesting now that you did draw the parallel between the um, the seventies team had survivors from the sixties team, the eighties yeah. team had survivors from the seventies team. That having some sense of possibility is there because confidence. You know, you need you need the coaching, the coaches and the mentors to have the confidence that what they're doing is the right thing as well. So you can see how counties lose faith and how it becomes a vicious cycle, and it's hard to break that in certain counties. I, I completely agree, and, and Offaly does have a little bit of an advantage. Now, this can work either ways. There can be the weight of history, which says you'll never do what those lads do, and if you think you're at the bottom of the pile and you can't get there, yeah. then why should you put yourself into the firing line? Or you can flip it, and you can say, well, we have knowledge in our county of having done it, so let's use it. So when I was fortunate enough to be for doing the Offaly footballers, like on the management team was Stephen Darby who played in the 82 All-Ireland final Like it's great to know it was someone in the corner of the room with an All-Ireland medal yeah. who's won it the same, and he came from the same place as you came from so th- I think that really matters yeah yeah, no for sure um, look the documentary sounds like it's going to be great you obviously haven't seen it yet but um, uh, the book the companion piece book that's um, it's Mick a great book is, it is really it is um, Mick Foley's Kings of September yeah absolutely absolutely brilliant as well so that should be part of your um, Christmas shopping as well as The Hurlers by Paul <laughs> Rouse uh, and um, yeah so Paul thanks very much for joining us thanks very much we're going to play one quick clip here from Wednesday Night Rugby it's Andy Dunn and how John Cooney can put pressure on Joey Carberry this weekend have a look well I think um, should we see the kicking jewel uh, it'd be very interesting to see Carberry's response 
Um, like I said, I think really striking the ball immeasurably better. Um, from a technical point of view, he's not... A lot of kickers have the style where they crumple over the ball. Their head is very much over the ball. Traditionally, you know, head down, focus. He's, he's opened up his chest. His head is, is kind of uh, not so much C-shaped over the ball. He's quite J-shaped. He's kind of standing up there, Almost opening like out the hips. Farrell, his chest is open. Yes, chest is yeah, and he's getting a nice strike on the ball, which matters. Um, now, striking it lovely and hitting it wide doesn't matter all that much, but <laughs> you, you would hope as the strike becomes more consistent and true, which I think he's done... The accuracy comes with it. Cooney is, um, from my mind, possibly the most underrated player in Irish rugby at the moment. He's his what he's done in terms of his contribution to Ulster rugby has been huge, a remarkable contribution for a guy who was a bit part player in other provinces. He's kicked last minute conversions and penalties to win key games. His contribution around the field is not as. Um, as a, I suppose an attacking threat probably not where Marmion and McGrath are was passing I'd say all three their passing is very similar um, so yeah I'd be very interested to see how, how things pan out not only just for you know Cooney's kicking game here if he plays this weekend but over the course of the next eight nine months from, from my mind he could be a dark horse for the World Cup squad yeah. That's um, Andy done a conversation with Dave McIntyre last night in studio for Wednesday Night Rugby. You can get the podcast of that on our brand new shiny website, offtheball.com. Um, so have a look at that. Uh, it's also possible now for you to watch and stream and listen to this show in the mornings and uh, go about your business. You can minimise it and we'll play it in the background for you if you just want to listen to the piece as well. Now, uh, loads of comments coming in. Sean Martin says, Happy Christmas, lads. Great show all year. Keep it up. Tommy, any sign of you going into coaching slash management in the future? I think not until you're 40. Yeah, just well, and even that I won't be going outside till on. <laughs> so he's staying. Keep it local. Shop local. <laughs> would, a, <laughs> would a sweeper have stopped Tommy when he was using Jack Quincho up front? Hashtag OTB FIFA. Hashtag OTBAM. Ask Sean O'Brien. <laughs> he probably would have because they just get the ball to him and run. <laughs> Juan Sebastian Ravon was another old school pro Evo classic from the nineties. <laughs> says James Stapleton um, Tommy's an absolute legend um, your passion for Offaly football from Paul that's great it's not a bad hurler either says David Finnerty uh, didn't realise that um, Paul had played hurling uh, as much as football as well um, it, that Offaly team like it's funny how there hasn't been more made of them because like the jerseys are class right which is very important when you're a kid and you're watching it's like those jerseys are class <laughs> uh, my favourite football game as a kid was um, when Kerry played Mead in the All Ireland football final and they both wore their provincial jerseys so it was blue versus green I was like I'd never seen them before and so Kerry are wearing this blue a Munster GA blue was so what it was yeah, yeah. I, I, like, what, what, do you know that jersey? I, I, I know the jersey you're talking about but I don't know why they came up with that instead. Of, I suppose it just didn't have change kits at the time Yeah. and obviously blue is their change strip at the moment they wore it last against Mayo a couple of years ago Jared Paris got a great goal on that. have you ever seen the video of that they beat me in an Ireland semi-final I can't remember with the specific game but I know the jersey you're talking about and I know oh, the game oh, you're oh, talking that about jersey, I don't know it's just different and the, those Offaly jerseys also look great in, in those games and those Kerry had a change strip of, of a white jersey yes Jacko scores an amazing goal in that white jersey at some point yeah the yeah. white and uh, green trim yeah it, it almost looks like an Offaly jersey if you just put it down and there was no player yeah. in it it almost looks like an Offaly jersey they're class yeah I was wondering as well dude, we used to have the golden years that time which was the 
the the Kerry that Kerry team yes, was on video. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wonder is that still out? Is that on DVD? Was sure, it ever transferred? Get on YouTube. I think so. I'd I'd get a copy of it. I was. It is on YouTube. Is it? Yeah. Actually, yeah. I was watching it recently enough. <laughs> 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 Which is uh, yeah, kind of sad. I, I was. I think I was lo- looking to buy a copy on Amazon or something for someone, and then I just saw a link to YouTube, and an hour and a half later, there I was. <laughs> uh, Tommy Herning till he's forty. Most lads calling it a day at the early thirties these days. Old habits die hard. Tommy's uh, surviving a relegation on a turnaround. Good club man, uh, says Kay Fenley. Uh, Caroline Tyke says, I think Dublin will do five in a row. I'd say everybody thinks they're going to do it, but there's a really good chance that... They don't. Do you not? No. Okay, right. Who's going to be All-Ireland champions this time next you year? You get the field. If you just say, you know, like... Well, someone, if someone beats Dublin, then it could be anyone. Um, anyone could be anyone after that. You know, it likes a Tyrone... Kerry, Monaghan, The worst time Mayo for you to be in a semi-final. <laughs> you don't want to be the team that beats them in the semi-final and be the overwhelming favourites in the final and get picked off. That's what happened last time, wasn't it? In 2014. So, I, I don't know. I, as we've kind of said already... But is the opening game... Is, is, the neutral, is there still one, is the first one and going to be in Croke Park? Yes, Probably, they've, yeah. they've oh, called it. It? they said that a couple of weeks ago that they okay. will still have two Croke Park games because Croke Park is their home, of course, Tommy. They merely rent it out. In fact, they don't actually get a home game in the Super 8, so the odds are stacked against Dublin. They've got to go away to Croke Park on two occasions. Right. <laughs> well, I suppose it suits them, you see. Not because they're so used to there, but such a big pitch and they're brilliant yeah. players. Um, so, yeah, that would probably play to their advantage. But, yeah, I think someone will... Shock them. But the thing is, you don't want them to get beaten in the Super 8s anyway, because they lose one game like that and they're still in the competition. They'll come back with a vengeance uh, to, and actually qualify and then go on to the semi-final. You obviously want them beaten in knockout, so semi-final or final. Like I, I just think that the gap is just so large and there's no proof that the gap is um, closing. There's, like, where, where is the sign that Dublin are slowing down and where is the sign that Kerry and Mayer are going to accelerate at a rate of knots that is going to close that gap? That's when you're probably at your most... Vulnerable, you know. Perhaps. When you think you're that strong. Like we heard what Paul was. It Paul was saying about the Kerry. Or was it was yourself about the Kerry guys. They thought they were just going to win the Ireland, and that was it. Mm. So I think when everyone is telling you that you can't be beaten, that's when you're definitely at your. Some some of it is going to seep in, as you keep saying about the questions, Jerry. Kerry had released a single as well about um, five in a row <laughs> in advance of the final. Uh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> come on. <laughs> they were asking for it. Was that an official single? Not an official single, but, but like sorry, it's a, and Kerry, <laughs> Kerry fans. Yeah, but like, obviously, uh, like uh, you, you, everybody makes a fan song before any big sporting event. No, they event. don't. Like, <laughs> you know, they don't. Like you'll never in Ireland has ever done that before. <laughs> Literally the first Irish what? sports fan song in history. Yeah, because like uh, Ireland has I've never released a song which contained the lyrics "You'll never beat the Irish," uh, which I take to mean we're going to win the World Cup. <laughs> And we'll really shake them up when we win the World Cup because Ireland are the world greatest football team. The, the players sang Let's that. Right? But exactly, I mean, so... It's, yeah, but it's that was ludicrous. <laughs> we knew that was ludicrous. Whereas the Kerry lads were like, yeah, of course they're going to win five in a row. But it wasn't the players. Fair point. Uh, all right, um, two quick ones for you. Potch United and how to Spurs. And then there's that the money eyes emoji and the green tongue. Is that like a good emoji or a bad emoji? I don't know. It's just like making out like a bandit emoji. Is that? Uh, like dollar drunk. Dollar drunk. That's it. Is that, yeah. is that the official title of it? I just coined that right there. It's not bad. Uh, Tommy Walsh looking like a young Bill Shankly in that suit and tie, says uh, Donny <laughs> Kilhan. That's, um, that's, we, we, instead of no tracksuit on the, on the uh, sideline for you, just a suit and tie. He's like, <laughs> oh, I'd rather be like, I read a book on him during the winter. Uh, was it Jimmy Murphy? The guy from Man United. He was uh, the second guy to, to uh, Matt Busby and the, the Busby babes. Um, I'd, I'd rather be him. He was an incredible guy. 
So I don't know Danny really, but yeah, he was a coach and very much involved again in the underage setups. Yeah. But then when Munich happened, um, Busby was obviously in hospital and, and Jimmy had to take over. And you know the the credit. I just read this book and, and it credits him with keeping Manchester United going during them rough couple of months and that and just lived for it. You know, even his family probably didn't see him a whole lot at this time yeah. because he just lived in in Manchester United and loved the players and. Um, was it was it um, Duncan Edwards? Was he the, the, the fella that died? He was a superstar, yeah. He was a superstar and loved Duncan Edwards. And he speaks of him the way Paul was speaking of Matt Connor. Yeah, yeah. You know, taught no one. And, and it's an amazing story. Um, and I was surprised I hadn't come across it before. But, you know, we hear about the Busby Bays, but then when you see what actually was behind everything, and um, Jimmy Murphy, so I'd rather him. He was more, I think, of a tracksuit guy out in the... <laughs> Is coaching something that is actually more interesting to you than being a manager? Yeah, I don't think I would be as much into man- be in management because um, I'd just rather be in the ground. And, and underage, I do prefer underage as well. Um, so like it gets a lot more complicated, when yeah. you, <laughs> a lot more personalities when you go up to adult level. And I don't think organising matches and referees and water bottles and all that, I'm not as... Yeah, yeah. So Somebody I, else I would prefer that. underage coaching, yeah. Uh, Tommy, we've loads of your clips that we're going to play out a little bit later on. Um, one of our favourite ones was um, uh, when you'd have something in the background on Skype. So please keep that up next year because it's always great. We're like, oh, what's that? What's that? What's that over Tommy's shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> our favourite one was um, the one of uh, was it your granddad? Was that the first one that we had? Yeah. Now I got a lot of texts after. I said it was such a such a match, and um, so I got a few texts in to say that it was a different. <laughs> so never confess to that. No, so, no one knows that. Uh, well, I didn't mind because that was only uh, part of the story. The real story was him shaking Christy Ring's hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, happy Christmas and brilliant having you. And honestly, a well-deserved yep. award. You're totally uh, 100%. Um, I mean, it's been a, a career festoon with awards, but hopefully that's right up there with them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, here is one more clip from uh, last night's show. It is Matt Hughes of The Times saying that the whole notion of a director of football is not going to put Mauricio Pochettino off from working at Manchester United, and that, that's all a bit of a red herring. Have a look. And I kind of, I kind of think that the director of football thing is a, is a slight red herring in this. There is the most important appointment to Manchester United is a manager. They have to get that right, um, and in getting that right, to get that right, they will they will compromise on the director of football, um, and they will not appoint a man over the manager's head that he's not happy to work with. Pochettino's worked with directors of football before. He worked with Paul Mitchell at Southampton and also at Tottenham. He wasn't replaced, but Tottenham and United are very different clubs. Daniel Levy is de facto technical director, really. He runs that club. Ed Woodward um, is kind of tacitly acknowledged that he does not have those skills and they feels they need more help in the transfer market. Um, I don't think that would be a stumbling block to uh, recruiting Pochettino, providing they could agree on, on the right candidate. You also wrote today... He may, he, may, he may even be, be asked to bring someone with him. Yeah, well, that I was just going to ask that question. You also wrote today that... As you understand it, United are actually preparing an offer not just for Pochettino but for his entire coaching staff, Jesus Perez, Tony Jimenez and uh, Miguel D'Agostino as well. So I guess they have to reach an agreement with Tottenham first. But so, as you understand it, the bookies are right in having Pochettino leading the betting at the moment that he is the primary target for Manchester United and any other manager after that would be second choice. I mean, these situations are fluid, but that's my understanding at the moment and People around United certainly were not um, attempting to, to play let down yesterday, which is unusual in itself. There you go. 
um, the lads talking last night with Matt Hughes about the uh, Pochettino and uh, the structure within which he might work. Stephen Doyle is here this morning. Stephen, how are you? Good, Jer. Thanks. Yourself? Happy Christmas. Same to you. What are you getting for returns? Christmas? What am I getting for Christmas? I actually don't. You, you get to a certain point where you just you don't really care anymore, do you? You yeah. just kind of... Got to that point. You get a few socks, you know, some underwear, fresh underwear for the, the new year. You're kind of happy enough, aren't you? Kind of set, ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2019, you hit the ground running. Well, I actually have to say, our, our tech whiz in here, Jess Kelly, got me in the Secret Santa, and I got a... Oh, man, that's class. Yeah. She's got this stockpile of amazing stuff. What'd you get? Oh, I got this little Bluetooth speaker. Oh. And it's amazing. Like, it's only... It's probably about the same size as the phone here, but the sound is incredible. Is it? Absolutely incredible, yeah, yeah. What makes it? Oh, I haven't a clue, actually, now. It's, it's uh, great advertising. <laughs> it really works. <laughs> <laughs> but my music sounds really good, and that's yeah, all cool. I can say. Yeah, yeah. What, who, did, who did you, what did you purchase for <laughs> the other person? Uh, well, I actually, I got this really fancy... I, we got one of the girls up in uh, marketing, and I got this really fancy corkscrew and a bottle of Prosecco. Nice Prosecco. It's, it's nice and simple. She was happy. She was really happy. Are you a good yeah. present buyer in general? There's um, a bit of racial profiling going on there. <laughs> <laughs> I would be, though. In fact, my, like my mother actually did say to me before, she said, you're very good, son, you know, when I come. Because I, I really only have my sister, niece, mum and dad, girlfriend. And she says, you're, you're really good. You're very thoughtful. I don't, I don't like kind of getting I stuff hear, like vouchers hear, or well, I know, come you know, on. cash or anything Vouchers like are great. You, get the, <laughs> you give the gift of choice. Yes. <laughs> I believe I'm pro-choice. I definitely think that like, people should be able to pick their own stuff. Um, right, I might Stephen, actually. Well, I might get a few photos for tomorrow because I did see some great pictures of um, ploughing championship jerseys on the O'Neill's website. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'll get those for tomorrow, maybe. We well, can, um, uh, I think they could be the perfect gift for the GAA fan in your life. Just to remember 2018, but the disaster that was the ploughing championship. <laughs> let's not forget. I think it's, it rained, rained, rained. It just rained. They've got to make their money some way, I suppose. <laughs> that sounds amazing. The photograph of Seamus Darby's goal having your dad and your brother in the background. If I was from oh, Offaly, wow. I would have that printed off and it would be a massive mural in my bedroom. Like, seriously, it's an amazing photograph. It really is yeah. just an iconic photo and there's not too many more of them that are just like that. It's just the helplessness of Nelligan in the air as the ball is just kind of going in, in ellipse over his head. Do you know something as well? I think the strip, because um, there's a documentary coming up, isn't there, on yeah. RT over, the, over Christmas... The Offaly strip that year was magnificent. They were just literally just talking about it. It's I, one of the reasons why like, I, those teams mean so much. I actually think the teams of the early 90s, the football was good, but the strips were amazing. The mean yeah. strip was great. The, uh, the down strip was brilliant. Oh, yeah. The Donegal strip wasn't bad. Like, it was just, it helps a lot. Yeah, big time. Even that Cork jersey, even that team. Like, that Cork team that ground out those two grim All-Irelands at the end of the 90s, their Cork jerseys were the best Cork jerseys ever. I mean, it, <laughs> Oh, well, it, it, it late 80s, early 80s. 89, 90. Yeah, yeah. Barry's T, we're talking here, aren't we? Or, yeah, even yeah. in my head, is there a year and they won it? They didn't. The sponsorship had come in. You see, the spo- Eden Keypack are the first sponsorship yeah. winning team, aren't they? But there's something wrong with the yeah. sponsored jerseys. Like the Kerry one in 98, the Adidas one, is just one of the all time great jerseys. It's like you're clearly, you clearly just aren't uh, as much of a jersey aficionado as I thought you were, Steve. that you actually, yeah, well, you know, I like to really keep like it traditional when it comes to GAA. On you know, well, I, 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 I need to go to those foreign sports manufacturers. <laughs> <laughs> What's the news, Steve? Um, I suppose we'll kick off with Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, they gained some sweet, sweet revenge at the Emirates last night. Of course, returning to the venue of the recent 4-2 Premier League defeat to Arsenal for their League Cup quarter-final last night. Hyung Min Son and Deli Ali scored either side of the break to seal a 2-0 win at the Emirates. 
But the game marred by some fan trouble. Arsenal now analysing CCTV footage to identify a supporter who threw a plastic bottle at Delhi Ali during the game. The Spurs midfielder was hit on the back of the head. Um, his manager, Maurizio Pochettino, was speaking afterwards, just saying that it just, it's a bad look for the game, and I suppose especially after what happened. Actually, you can hear Pochettino speaking now. Those clips are in. Okay. Lucky that wasn't a big issue. For me, it's about, come on, okay, when we play a derby, always uh, we hate each other in a good way, but that is, looks is in a bad way. Okay, it wasn't a, a problem, but can happen some big problems, some big issue, and then uh, how we are going to fix it, that, that type of problem. I think Arsenal is going to take some responsibility about to identify the people, and I hope that. Yeah, so I suppose after what happened in the last game, probably a little bit more serious when the banana skin was thrown on the pitch, but um, we did see it during the match. It looked like there was actually a bit of water, there was a good bit of water in the bottle, so there's a bit of weight in it. Um, I don't know if anybody saw it. Deli Ali turned around to the, the yeah, crowd. And fair play to him. Fair play to him two things. Not going down and doing the Rivaldo, roly, 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 yeah. roly, roly, roly. And then one of the Arsenal players, was a Bellerin coming over to him? <laughs> That's the only appropriate yeah. response to that. Pardon Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But he did well, I thought, Deli Ali. Great stats coming out of the game. Paolo Gazzaniga was in goal for Spurs. The first Spurs goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet away at Arsenal in any competition since November 1998. What? That's an amazing... 20 years. Um, can you... Anybody want to give a go? Sorry, hang on, sorry, I was reading the tweets there. Last Spurs keeper to keep a clean sheet away at Arsenal. So, Paolo Gazzaniga was the first Spurs keeper to keep a clean sheet away at Arsenal. 1998 is the last time. 1998, yeah. November. Who was the last goalkeeper? Uh, Spurs goalkeeper. Eric Torslet. Uh It's after him. Um, the England goalkeeper. I, I remember that last night, Ian Walker. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't him. Is it a league game? Yeah, you like probably won't get this. It's Epson Bardson. No, I wouldn't have got Epson Bardson. Mm. Oh, I was just on the tip of my tongue. If you just give me an <laughs> extra second. Well, I was just thinking, like, that's 20 years. You're talking 20 away fixtures and whatever cup matches. That's 20-odd games. It's a serious record. Um, Owen has a, an uh, equally interesting piece of sports trivia for this morning. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I won't tell you the answer just yet, because I want to get people at home thinking, who is the highest paid athlete of all time? I'm sure you'll know. Uh, this person time. has made... Billions, <laughs> and this is not including endorsements. Uh, get, get in touch at Off the Ball on Twitter or comment on the stream wherever you're watching. Uh, first person who wins gets uh, a special Christmas message from Sebo here. <laughs> okay, well, Spurs drawn to play Chelsea in the semi-finals after the Blues beat Bournemouth one 0 at Stamford Bridge. Aidan Hazard scoring the winner in the 84th minute. Um, just as well, Hyungman's son will miss the second leg. The forward has been called to South Korea's squad for the Asian Cup. He led off to the tournament in the UAE after Spurs' Premier League game against Man U next month. That finishes on the 1st of February. The tie will be played on the week commencing January 7th and 21st. Manchester City, um, they'll play League One side Burton Albion in the other last four clash. I wouldn't be calling that one if I was you. In the Scottish Premiership, Celtic back on top. The Hoops won 3-0 at home to Motherwell. Anthony Ralston and Michael Johnston scored either side of a Scott Sinclair penalty. They leapfrogged Rangers who were held nil all away to Hibs. In Gaelic Games news, I know we've been speaking about already this morning, lads. Jim Gavin, Sticking with the boys in blue, confirmed yesterday the Round Towers Club man has agreed to continue managing the Dublin senior footballers until 2021. Um, And just an interesting quote from Sean Hanley, the county chairman, saying, Jim has contributed so much time and hard work on a voluntary basis to the Dublin team. And I thank him and his backroom team for their continued efforts and dedication. Um, Congratulations, Jim. The Dubs always keen on highlighting the voluntary basis stuff there. 
Two Irish throwers into the third round of the PDC World Darts Championship. Limerick Carpenter, William O'Connor, beat James Wilson 3-2 in a five-set thriller at the Ali Paddy last night. O'Connor was a big underdog heading into this one against the 26th-ranked Englishman. He'll next face Serbian Mensur Suljevic, or England's Ryan Searle, in the third round. Good chance of revenge after they came to the Aviva and beat us that time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, Teddy Suljevic is a pretty good darts player. He's ranked seventh in the world. God, that, um, that Irish-Serbian so sporting rivalry real is really match. up a notch, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure Nemanja Matovic, Nemanja Matovic will be getting a flight over for, or getting a flight down to London for that game. Uh, Brendan Dolan pulled off a big shock. The Fermanagh man lost just one leg in beating Joe Cullen 3-0 in their second round encounter. The history maker, as Dolan is called, will face either Holland's Jan Decker or England's Mervyn King on Sunday. Today, 25-year-old Carla man Steve Lennon takes on 25th seed Alan Chuck Norris in the second round. <coughs> And to finish. <laughs> Dar- like, come on, Jerry. Jerry's just completely nonplussed. You just don't like darts. You're not laughing at all this stuff. This is comedy gold. It's yeah. beautiful, beautiful sport. Until we get to the rather grim story that's I have up. to say, I'm, I'm a BDO man myself. I'm a traditionalist. I like, <laughs> I like, I like the lakeside. Why? Uh, friendly game. Yeah, but it's like... How can, you, how can you tell? It's like Daily Man The Park. scores are lower. The averages are lower. There's less than 180. There's less people there. It's, the production quality is shitter. And there's just less good analysis. It's like Dalyman Park, okay? We know it's a bad football ground, but it is the spiritual home of Irish football. <laughs> it's like the lakeside for darts. Uh, strange post-match interview given by Englishman James Wade last night. The three-time semi-finalist was accused of thuggish behaviour after saying he wanted to herd Sego Asada in his nail-biting win over the Japanese qualifier. The world number nine battled back from a set-down to beat the Asian Tour number two player 3-2. The match overshadowed by Wade's actions on stage as he appeared to be feeling the pressure. He shouted in the direction of his opponent after levelling the match 1-1 and afterwards gave this strange explanation. I didn't think he had that game in him. I really didn't. And um, perhaps if I, f- I felt that he had that game in him, I probably would have prepared a little bit different. But um, how I won that game, I don't know. But it's about time, that is, because I've lost so many games here that I shouldn't have lost. How much uh, did it help winning those two previous tournaments? Is that giving you a bit more confidence coming here, the Euros and the World Series? No, not at all. Um, my um, son that's... Uh, My son is 10 weeks old, he texted me, so um, he's quite advanced, and he said, uh, Dad, please don't lose. Look, um, I think it was the, the first set you won, the second set. There was a lot of aggression at the end of that. You appeared to get quite close to him. What, what happened there? I kept giving it to him. I, I wanted to hurt him. I wanted to, you know, really hurt him in his face. And um, I won a great game, but I wanted to hurt him, and I wanted to progress, you know. And um, that's my son, and um, also for a bit of the UK, so... Yeah, strange stuff there. Uh, Wayne Mardle, the former player, spoke afterwards. Um, he's obviously working as a pundit and said, does he mean he wanted to punch him in the face? What does he mean? I'm absolutely lost for words. It's just not on. The intimidation, overly aggressive. I hope he wakes up <coughs> in the morning and thinks I've made a mistake here. Brexit down the pub. That's what darts is. Brexit <laughs> down the pub. Well, yeah, because Brexit of, on tour. Brexit down the pub. Uh, what, because no other sport falls under the I'm not saying any other of... sports. I'm not saying any other sport. Like, if you can defend darts against the charge of it being... Brexit in human form, go for it. Well, uh, plenty of friends of mine went to see the darts in City West recently. Are they Brexiteers? Would they, if they were English, would they be part of the Football Lads Alliance or the EDL? Probably. Should oh, we well, not? That's pretty offensive. English, yeah, probably. Should we not kind of maybe form an? I would e- go to the darts. An EU alliance with the rest of the players, maybe the Irish lads, Soljevic, the Dutch lads, maybe an EU kind of like a Ryder Cup spirit getting getting behind the European lads. <laughs> 
Come on, Europe. Yeah, I mean... It happens in the Moscone Cup in the pool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. So, like, you're now accepting the, uh, the power of darts for social change? No. That's I'm saying that they're going to get the shit kicked out of them by the fans. That's what'll happen. And then I'll be like, oh, I'm telling you, that won't end well. So all darts players are Brexit-loving... No, the fans. But the fans are sorry. But, like, I'm sure, I'm sure they're all lovely people. You're not really, though. Lo- loads of lovely people voted to leave. You don't, you don't seem convinced about that, that idea. Oh, really? <laughs> it's almost a tone of sarcasm. Uh, there's one other picture we wanted to show you from the darts. Uh, this is a screenshot from Sky Sports last night. The most romantic setting possible, Ali Pali in December, as a man proposes to his now fiance. She said yes immediately. And uh, you can see the environment around him. Uh, anonymous beer legend on the right with pointy blue Christmas hat. Uh, was there to witness the romantic moment. I tell you, enjoy that man while you have him like that because I can imagine 10 years' time he's probably going to be about five stone heavier, you know, stubble. It's funny when you see some of the younger darts players come in. in Brexit ways. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, is that the least romantic way to possibly... uh, There's going to be be no tungsten left for their fucking iron arrows or whatever (laughs) uh, because they'll have to import it and there won't be a World Trade Organization deal Um, for it. And that'll be the end of the darts. (laughs) (laughs) These stupid idiots will have voted for the end of the only thing that they're good at. There's a couple of other things we wanted to get to. There's this uh, video from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer from uh, the training ground in Molde, which we can bring you. Listen to this. encouraging from a Manchester United perspective does it? Not sure is Jose Mourinho speaking uh, in a deaf foreign language to your team <laughs> Well there is What's well, going on it's, it's like speaking to a bunch of Norwegians in English instead of speaking in Norwegian it's yeah. almost like he's doing it for the cameras At least he's telling them to shoot the ball quite often Yeah and that's good Yeah. Uh, does anybody oh, Shoot Shoot Paul Shoot Like if you're telling your players to shoot you've obviously got a very high level of tactical now um, Do you want any guesses on who's the highest paid athlete of all time Jerry knows the answer um, it's got to be basketball, is it? Nah, no, not a tiny bit different. <laughs> Small bit different. This is shit. Keep, of all time. keep guessing. No, uh, it's the best question of all time. Highest paid. Once, high I, once I say his all name, time. Once all, I say his name, you're going to be like, ah, of course. Is it Formula One? No. It's not Formula One. <laughs> there were no Formula cars. It is. Ac- it is it's Formula actually, One. It is actually like more. It is Formula sport. One. It is the Formula One equivalent of ancient history. Yes. Oh, so um, it was. A Lusitanian Spaniard named uh, Gaius Apelius Diocles is the highest paid athlete of hey, all guys, time. A picture of him. Uh, he made $15 billion throughout his career if we're using today's money. <laughs> so uh, he was basically one of the legends of the, the Circus Maximus, who you'll all be familiar with. Uh, he retired at, at the age of 42 years, 7 months and 23 days as a champion of all charioteers. So his total take-home amounted to five times the earnings of the highest paid provincial governors over a similar period, enough to provide grain for the entire city of Rome for a full year or to pay the ordinary soldiers of the Roman army at least the height of its, at the, at least the height of its imperial reach for a fifth of a year this guy was a rich guy he was an extremely good charioteer and he made 15 billion dollars so remember the name Gaius Apelius Diocles he was like the Teddy Sheringham of chariot racing well precisely 42 uh, years of age 42 years of age so uh, from the year 146 no less 42 would have been like the equivalent of 
150 investors. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and also uh, in that sort of line of work, it's not exactly a, a high life expectancy. Is it Ben Hur levels of death? Everybody dies in every race, basically. Uh, well, obviously, he wasn't like a full blown gladiator taking on uh, lions and tigers. But uh, he was like chariot racing was still highly dangerous. Oh, absolutely! So um, yeah. I'd say the average age was probably around twenty-two. He made it to forty-two. The um, competition that we've been running uh, copies of FIFA nineteen to give away. That is Cristiano Ronaldo on the cover of FIFA nineteen. I wonder when that decision was made. But anyway, I'm sure the game is absolutely sensational. Although who had a go at it recently? David Miner had a bit of a go at it. Did he? Yeah. David Miner, FIFA ambassador. Yeah. What did he say? Um, I can't actually remember, but uh, I'm sure it's brilliant. So, anyway, uh, Kay Fenley, Tommy Walsh hurling till 40. Most lads call it a day at their early 30s these days. Old habits die hard. Great interview. Tommy surviving a relegation and a turnaround. Good clubman. Hashtag OTB FIFA. Hashtag OTB AM. And Ashley S wins for my 13-year-old Spurs mad daughter. Skipped to school this morning. Her against five Arsenal fans. Hashtag COYS. Uh, that was primarily to troll. We had two Arsenal fans. You're not an Arsenal fan, are you? No, no, no. No. Olsen. Bohemians and Celtic are my teams, Jer. Very good. Okay. <laughs> I was wondering, some people get a bit, uh, I'm not allowed to tell you um, anymore, but. All the uh, Rovers fans are currently cursing at the T cameras now. Your screens. That's me. But both fans define Rovers. That, like, Rovers are nothing without both. Very true. Like, like Celtic and Rangers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, I think it took Rangers being shit for a decade for Celtic to go, oh, it's, uh, I mean, it's great and everything. And. <laughs> Uh, there's far fewer people coming to the games now and it's not that interesting anymore as Oasis once sang because we need each other a fair point Stephen good stuff thanks very much for uh, joining us we're going to play you out with um, some Tommy Walsh gold from the past year these are his hits they include uh, his boot story which I think is probably what swung the award for him um, a bit of Rihanna uh, club training um, the uh, the red card story and uh, the nugget that was his uh, granddad shaking hands with Christy Ring. We'll see you tomorrow. Good luck. Here, I got to ask you. What so beside the hurling warriors poster? What's the other thing over your over your uh, your right shoulder? Yeah. So I put that up. Can you see that clearly? Or? Just a bit. Yeah. There's a headline there. It all began with a brown and Nolan medal. Yeah. I'll try and bring over the phone to it. See, does it work? Oh yeah. So what Can is you see it? that now? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so that's my. I, I put it up there. You know, you might notice it or might not, but you did, so it's great. That's my grandfather, Paddy Grace, um, the man with the cap and the hurls and the suit. So he was played for Kilkenny for many years, and he was the secretary for the county board for many years. But just a hurling man, like he talked about me that I love hurling. This man <laughs> loved hurling a hundred times more than I did. Um, he was the man in Nolan Park that. He wanted all the kids to be let out in the field because he said they're the future. And he didn't he never would never let anyone hunt the kids off the field. And who's he shaking hands with? The greatest of them all, Christy Ring. So that's a brilliant, brilliant photo. And what I loved about that is we're talking about elitism at the moment. And I know that the, the new GA president was talking about the, the development squads and we have to move away from elitism. We're the GA, we're about the community. Look, there you have two great men and look at the young fellas looking up at them. This is an all Ireland final, the nineteen fifty four all Ireland final. Cork were after beating Kilkenny, and the young lads there in shaking hands with Christy Ring. Look at the crowds that are at the match. Like to me, that's the GA. That's the that's what we're all about. So, um, I said I put that up there. One of you might know us, and then we could talk about it. But it's um, you know, we have to stay away from elitism. The GA is about the community where everyone is involved. So it's inter-county, it's club, it's everyone. It's a kind of a fifty-fifty kind of a 
a thing. So I just had to put that up there for that. Yeah, and uh, like unbelievable um, sportsmanship too from uh, from your grandfather, who's obviously lost and is devastated by the loss, but still goes over to shake the hand of Chrissy Ring. Yeah, but sure, that's the way hurling is, and that's the way it always has been. Like you know, you're devastated, you're down in the dumps. But you go over and you say, listen, that's the way you're trying to teach the kids and that's the way you were taught by your own parents and coaches. You shake their hands and say, listen, I did everything I could. I might have hated you for that 60 minutes, that 70 minutes on the field and for the few minutes beforehand. But it's over now. We're both hurling men. We all come from clubs. We all come from hurling families and we're all the one. So it's, you know, it's nearly kind of a... It's a relief even to shake a hand after getting bet because at least you can just say, listen, we did our best and we weren't good enough. Let's move on, you know, and you, you can kind of, you can let it go. But then, of course, that the red card came. It was just, you know, a, a slightly a pull a bit to the left. But, you know, the red card came and I suppose it's been all Kilkenny since. And was the red card ha- harsh, Tommy? I'm sure, listen, he's a defender, I'm a defender. <laughs> <laughs> there should never be any red cards in hurling if I was refereeing, but... Um, I didn't really see it. Now right. the sun, you know, the sun was uh, glaring, glaring down in, in his eyes, and there's another pint for Kenny. So they are stretching out the legs now because Wexford had to bring back a man. So any ball that's going up into that full forward line is being, I suppose, swept up by by the Kenny spare man. You've left now, me on a cliff there. So the sun was hanging into his eye or shining into his eyes, and then what did he do? The ball came down, and kind of two of them kind of um, pulled, and. Uh, you know, and it just kind of clipped him on know. the back of the helmet. Come on, tell me what happened. It clipped him on the back of the helmet. Yeah, but the ball was That's there, a euphemism if I ever heard it. The, the, the ball was there, thereabouts. <laughs> the just, it can happen so easily in this game, Joe. <laughs> it's happened to you many a time. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> the great thing about the clubs and the GA is the understanding, Joe, right? And we were watching that and we were training for... Um, 7 o'clock and next minute it's a draw and we didn't know was it a replay or what was going on and it came out the word came out then that was extra time and we all got a a text message lads train is delayed come down whenever extra time is over (laughs) and like but isn't that common sense and isn't that brilliant because sure we're all hurling people we all want to watch these brilliant players on these great the great stage everyone was expecting today to be the thriller Mm. in fact yesterday was just you know one of the best semi-finals we probably have ever seen and I just thought fair play like we're a small little club six or seven hundred people in Tullerone you know absolutely enthralled in hurling and uh, I thought it was great common sense went down we had a great training session after Tommy Welch hello Joe welcome to Parnell Park I'm the told- sun is out Joe the people are out and we'll have a full house I'd say in a few minutes here it's filling up nicely and uh, the dubs are just after coming out to a loud cheer I'm told you arrived at 5am this morning <laughs> no well I actually was up here since last night Joe uh, my uncle is part of the Whitehall Column Kills Club just down the road and the lip sync competition so I was asked just to help him out and be a judge and the funny thing about it was Joe the guys that won there were two guys dressed up as Rihanna and um, <laughs> I was coming in the t- turnstiles today and who let me in the turnstiles only your man dressed up as Rihanna I said to him he was looking better last night <laughs> so yeah I had the fry this morning in my Uncle William's house uh, the eggs uh, like my granny used to make and they were done in, in Kerrygold butter and all so it was a, a great start to the day well I will say it was a funny story like just uh, I was booed coming in by the Galway lads but what I will say is my first match for Kilkenny was under 14 in the Tony Forrestal game and I was marking no older than the legend, Johnny Marr. And, uh, <laughs> How big was he then? He said for me, father, we're still looking at the YouTube clips of him, of him hitting all those lads in that county final a few years ago.
I don't know, was it from Gert or was it Power Town? I think it was Gert, was it? Thomas. Thomas's, was it? It was the funniest. Boy, Mark Johnny Marr scored two points off me. I remember we were looking at the Galway lads. They had lovely gear. They were kind of beating everyone all around them. Um, that was a Tony Forrest. We went on and played Galway in the Nina Co-op, which is the under-16 All-Ireland. Ger Farrer was midfield, brilliant player again. Scored 16 points. I think he scored most of them from play, from midfield. Knocked us out with that. But this is where the funny bit comes then. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up playing Leash in a Shield match. And you'd be talking about motivations. Our motivation, if you won the Shield, you got a new pair of boots. Everyone got a new pair of boots. So our manager, John McCormick, was on to us. Lads, we have to win this. We have to get those boots. So we were playing Leash in the semi-final. Uh, I'm not sure where it was. And we were beaten by two points. We about, I think it could have been a minute to go or, or, or the last puck of the game. They, they got a free out in the 21 at the sideline. And one of the, free, one of the leash lads went to take it. And I started shouting at him. I was on the goal. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. You know, this before sledging or any of that. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that was our sledging back there. So the referee thought it was David Herity. David Herity was on goal. And the referee thought it was him. So he brought David Herity out from the goal, start booking him. There was no yellow cards or red cards back then. So he started booking him. So everyone on the sideline was giving out about David Herity. What did the referee do? He brought the free from the sideline straight in front of the goal. <laughs> Crazy stuff. What did the leash not do then? Put the ball down, buried in the top corner. <laughs> leash betters and we were going home without no boots. And then, <laughs> and David Harrison didn't talk to you for three years. <laughs> so that was my, my good stories. It wasn't always good news when we played Galway. So, if you like this, you'll probably also like OTB AM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 a.m.